Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cinematic Schematic, the official podcast of thecinematropolis.com, your home to thoughtful conversations on film. I'm your host, Caleb Masters, and big announcement, ladies and gentlemen, big changes happening here on the Cinematic Schematic and thecinematropolis.com. We are kicking off 2023. We are no longer a film analysis podcast, film discussion podcast. We are now, first and foremost, for haunted TikTok dances. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, we are here to provide you an analysis on Megan, spelled with a three. We're going to do things a little differently today. No TikTok dances in this audio-only medium. That's all yet. I prepared for, where we're not. <laughs> I was flossing while you not talking really about <laughs> Sorry, Dan, I know you've been practicing for days. My feet are days. tapping under the seat. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to start, actually, listeners. You guys all sent us some feedback at the end of the year. We had a really great top five films of 2022 episode. Talked for over three hours, and you all listened. I can see. You, actually, a lot of, you, you guys actually finished. Holy cow. I'm so thankful. Not only did you finish uh, when I, we did a call out on the, on the Twitter, you responded with your feedback. So we're going to read through some of those tweets here later today. We're then going to move on to an icebreaker question. I'm really excited about today's because it's going to be a little bit different than our typical icebreaker questions. And then we're going to jump into a spoiler-free review and verdict on Megan. Joining me today for our first podcast of 2023, as always... My co-host, an award-winning Oklahoma filmmaker, the writer-director of You People, not to be confused with You People, <laughs> Laron Chapman. Soon to be on Netflix. Laron <laughs> Chapman, welcome back to the Cinematic Schematic. Caleb, it's always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to see that your film has, you've, you've created a cult following. <laughs> Jonah Hill has seen your movie, and he was so inspired. Cannot be denied. They hired Eddie Murphy and Neil Long to play my lead characters in a now Netflix film soon to be out later this month. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. You people, look it up. I mean, look it up anywhere, but even on Netflix. <laughs> also rejoining us, he's a contributor here at the Cinematropolis and Flick Attack and all other sorts of cool places around the world, such as world literature today. Oh, Daniel Bokemper, welcome back to the Cinematic Schematic. <laughs> it's always happy to be here. Thank you, Caleb, especially for that clever... Uh, that world lit drop. Uh, people often forget about it. It's it's a little magazine, a magazine that's distributed internationally out of Norman, Oklahoma. So it's really cool that we do that. And it's about world literature. Odd. Not expect that from, from Norman, <laughs> Oklahoma, Oklahoma, at least. Maybe Norman, but like. I'm going to rebrand you in 2023, Daniel, as something of a world traveler. Yes. Thank who you. just writes for world literature. Global gadabout. Global gadabout. Okay. I'm also super excited to be rejoined. Ladies and gentlemen, you may remember him from our Mortal Kombat review back in the pandemic times. So thrilled to be joined by my friend, Josh Reed. He is afraid of his AI, I'm sure. Josh, welcome back. Hello, I'm Josh. I'm going to upsurp the new Mario voice actor, Chris Pratt. Doing do my own Mario impression. Mm. Oh, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Hey, guys. This just in. <laughs> Chris Pratt is actually on my podcast. Yeah. So good. Thanks, Chris. Thank you. Here I go. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, hurry me. Pay me How me. did you get him, Caleb? <laughs> I just said I needed the voice of Mario, and he appeared. <laughs> Some generic white guy, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Gentlemen, uh, I have an announcement for you and for the listeners. We had a really good run last year. I think we produced around 35 podcasts, especially during the holiday season, quite a sprint, lots of recordings. Uh, thank you all for pitching in, especially during the holiday season, uh, to talk about movies. With that in mind, though, I know this is the first podcast of 2023, 
However, we're going to take the next six or so weeks to, to take a break here at the Cinematic Schematic, the podcast specifically. There's still going to be some articles coming out on the cinematropolis.com, but we're going to put the, the podcast on break while your producer and hosts all take a time to reflect and think about all the cool things we want to do in 2023. So this will be our last episode until the week of February 20th. And we're going to return from that hiatus to talk about a few of the different films that we saw during the hiatus, potentially movies such as Knock at the Cabin Door, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, and oh, the one I'm oh so excited to talk about. Oh, you don't, there's no debate here. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the real, the clear movie that I, I'm sad that we're not doing a full episode on is Magic Mike's Last Dance. <laughs> Also, there's a Brandon Cronenberg movie coming out at oh, the end yeah. of this month. Yeah. Infinity Pool. That's right. Oh. Mia Goth and Alexander Skarsgård. Mm-hmm. Dang. So we might talk about that one, too. So if you're not, we will have uh, an episode where we talk about a lot of different movies after we return from the break. And then we'll be back two weeks later. That's going to be the week of March 6th with a double feature review of Cocaine Bear and Creed 3. And from there, we'll resume our bi-monthly programming with Screen 6 the week of March 20th. Potentially, there's a lot of stars that still need to align. There could be some bonus content sometime the week of March 13th, but we'll see. I don't want to make any promises I can't keep. With all that said, thank you so much for listening to us. And if you have been listening to us, one of the ways you can best support us to ensure that more movies such as Megan get covered, get the analysis they deserve, is to head on over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify and leave us a rating and a review it's really going to help us get discovered by more listeners just like you. What a great way to kick off the new year. There's a lot of New Year's resolutions happening right now. Make it your resolution to help people discover the cinematic schematic. Don't you enjoy the camaraderie of listening with us? Wow, I feel very self-indulgent right now. With that said, <laughs> you just love listening to us. I can hear the pats on the back. <laughs> so many pats on the backs. I don't like being compared to the Golden Globes, Josh. So I need you to stop. With that said, though, I'm also going to make it my mission to creating more avenues for listeners to provide their feedback feedback and their questions and their input. Uh, we did, in, in fact, this uh, last week, since our uh, top five films of 2022 episode published at the end of December, we did get a listener review come in on Apple Podcasts. Laurent Chapman, would you be so kind as to read that review for us? I would be honored. Um, coming to you guys from H Sand 830 he writes, Enjoyable Discourse on Cinema. The rapport this crew has together is perfect, and they are all bringing something fun and delightful to the conversation. Thanks a million, Hunter Sanders, as I have deciphered who that human is. I was wondering. Thank you, Hunter Sanders. Thank you. Uh, But for real. probably listening somewhere in Chicago later on when this, um, you know, uh, drops. Okay, great. Well, Hunter... Thank you so much for providing that review. Uh, it means a lot. Uh, and uh, again. And I would like to note, I did not ask him to leave this review. Actually, you did because you said at the front of every every single every, episode. Every episode. <laughs> but I did not ask him to do this. So this was a genuine response from a good friend of mine in Aww. Chicago who tuned in, you know, and uh, and enjoyed the conversation. So, And I believe he listened to the top five uh, analysis that we did. So. Well, firstly, again, uh, Hunter, thank you for sticking out for three hours of movie conversation. Uh, You know, again, people looking at the metrics, it looks like people listen to the whole thing. So kudos to all of you. Uh, Hunter, thanks so much for that word. Uh, Listeners, you can help support us. We're not making none of us are getting rich off of this podcast. But the one thing you can do is the, the two things you can really do here are tell a friend and leave a rating and a review. 
With that said, I did tweet out a few things uh, to our listeners um, between since the last episode. So from the Twitter profile for the Cinematropolis, which is at the Cinematrop, I asked you all, what were your favorite films of 2022? And here are a few of the responses that we got. Uh, from Gayu Raksha Bill, he simply listed his top four films. Number one was RRR. Love it. Number two was The Fablemans. Number three was Everything Everywhere All at Once. And number four was Tar. We did talk about all those films to varying degrees in our last episode. So thank you so much for the Tar RR recommendation. Coming in from our good friend Chad Parisman, uh, also who joined us on our Thor Love and Thunder review over the summer. He, in no specific order, listed the films Prey, Everything Everywhere All at Once, Scream, and X. Great recommends. I, you know, I I really liked Prey a, a lot. Like, it was probably my one of my favorite movies of last summer. And it did crack my top 25, but it did not crack, crack my top 10. But I'm glad that someone out there gave it a shout out. I really wish that was when I, I if I could go back and re-record that podcast again, I would make sure that Prey got a little more airtime because it is a an awesome action movie and a really, a really, really smart and clever and exciting reinvention of a franchise that I think was pretty tired from MF Broncho. He listed his top five films. Number five, the menu. Great minds think alike. Number four, Nope. Number three, crimes of the future. I, I just want to chime in and say, I, I want to revisit this so badly because I think I forced a very specific image of what I wanted crimes of the future to be just because of the director. And I think we have a tendency to do that. I think a lot of people did that to be fair though. Yeah. Well, I'm kind of thinking I may have done that with, we were talking about it before the podcast last night in Soho a little bit with Edgar Wright. And especially after um, revisiting another one of his films recently, but I, I I feel like Cronenberg, maybe, maybe it is true. Maybe Brandon Cronenberg will completely eclipse him. Inevitably he's, he's on the track to potentially do so. But I, uh, I, I, I feel like, I didn't give Daddy Cronenberg a very fair shake, so I'm I'm very excited to revisit Crimes of the Future. I still haven't seen it. That uh, that was a big blind spot for me yeah. last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, his number two was Everything Everywhere at Once, and number uh, one was another movie that we did. I don't think got acknowledged no. at all, but it, and it was in my top. I believe I need to double check. Definitely my top twenty five, not if not top fifteen. Three Thousand Years of Longing, the latest George Miller film, and you know th- that movie fizzled for me a little bit at the very very end. That said. I still thought it was awesome. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a great film and, and a, a really clever exploration of uh, myth and, and the power of like self-fulfillment and how does one decide what they want actually that will make them happy, right? Really great uh, work from George Miller. Quite a bit different uh, than Mad Max Fury Road <laughs> or Babe Pig in the City. Less explosions, you know, less shaved head Charlize Theron. But hey, you know, still – yeah, but we got, well, we still got a really good Idris Elba and a really saying. good Tilda Swinton. Very kinetic camera work too. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, it's still the the way the frames operate in that film are still just there, and I think it does have those parallels. But yes, also just great performances, and it was far more romantic yes. than I would have anticipated. Like, like sentimental and romantic than I would have anticipated from it. And I would have expected it to be a little bit more just kind of you know I don't say weightless because it is kind of you know um, an action film, but. I um, but it 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 was nice to see some kind of nuance. Just two people in love over the course of a long span of time, and just a connection. So, and, and like very unexpectedly, like yeah. when I went to that movie, I was not expecting a romance, and uh, yeah. we got a surprisingly powerful one. Yeah. 
All right. Ben Tufnell said, RRR, once again, love it. And Avatar 2 are the only films I gave a 10 out of 10 this year. <laughs> uh, Daniel, did you hear that? He gave Avatar 2 a 10 out of 10. I didn't I even hear it, it loud and clear. He, uh, well, I will say, first of all, I need to see R&R, or excuse me, R&R. RRR. Yeah, maybe. After all this Avatar 2 love. No, I, first of all, Ben, love what you love. Uh, and I appreciate that. I know I need to see the spectacle that is RRR. My only regret is it's probably going to be kind of difficult for me to see it on the big screen. No, Maybe. Daniel, I promise you the four of us will see it on the big screen. Okay. <laughs> okay. You mean it? I'm, I'm not, I'm not joking, man. Okay. I still haven't seen it either. Oh, don't worry. Oh, Firstly, uh, yeah. see it. Secondly, I, that's one I saw. It. It's amazing at home and the home viewing experience. It's great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's one of those, just when you're watching it, you're like, oh my God, this is so amazing. You know what would make this more amazing? If a crowd of people was watching it mm. together. Yeah. Everything is an 11. The dance numbers, the action sequences, the dance CGI. Cow, there's there's uh, so much tigers. in this movie. There's so much. Oh. It is bananas. It's crazy. I, I only saw it because of the hype train for it. And yeah. Um, and I, I mean, the thing that was deterring me was that, what was it? A three, three hours? It is three hours. It is that. But I'm telling you. It okay. moves. I... Of all the three-hour movies that came out last year, and there were several. Yes. Um, <laughs> indeed. Um, that one felt like it just Worth flew it. by because it okay. does not it doesn't waste a single breath. I it's love that. Just momentum all the way Pacing through. Pacing is is all it's what you need. It it just feels like in a world where we've been so oversaturated with a very specific type of blockbuster from Hollywood to see a blockbuster from not Hollywood, and you're like, oh my gosh, yeah. this is what is possible. It's so much fun. But also sincere. Oh, yeah. And then from friend of the show, Keith and Lane Smith, he said, I'd like to say After Sun, The Banshees of Inishirin, RRR, Descendant, Tar, 3,000 Years of Longing, Everything, Every Wall at Once, The Fablemans, another one we didn't get to acknowledge but probably should have, Mad God. Yeah. <laughs> Great film. Uh, nope. And once again, Avatar, <laughs> The Way of Water. Could name more, honestly. Saw a lot of films I really loved this year. Thank you, Keith. I appreciate it. And those are all, I don't think there's a single movie that you just mentioned there that I don't think was like exceptional in one way or another. Love you, Keith. And you're a good boy. Josh, you were not here for our top five films of the 2022 yeah. episode that we, we did uh, at the end of the year last year. So I'm curious, what were your top five films? So I'm going to embarrass myself. Are you ready? I didn't watch five films last year. I watched four. That's it. Okay. And so pretty much my top films are the ones I've seen. So it's a uh, multiverse of madness. It's a really good horror film. Glass Onion is pretty, it's pretty good. Pretty good, right? I like the first one more, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Solid. Super solid. Yeah. yeah. Great sequel, but the first one probably still a little better. Yeah. A little tighter. A little, That's a little, a little, a little more triumphant. A little more controlled, a little less indulgent. Mm, yes. Perfect. Avatar 2. Okay. You made it out <laughs> to that one. Hey, Josh, I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad that you're here. We're not here to say it's a perfect movie. We're just here to say no. it's a great time. Yeah. It's a roller coaster ride. If you're not, if you haven't hopped on that ride, you need to get I mean, on. It's a roller coaster that like stops for, for an hour and a half. But yeah, it's a roller coaster. <laughs> no, no, no. You, you, <laughs> stop, you, you need a cool down. All right. <laughs> all right. No, no. You do, you're I wish it was a log ride. You stop and you get off. And like, then you, wet. Disney World. Half the fun of Disney World is walking around exploring the park, and that's what we do for like that's why an it's hour. 3D, Daniel. You get wet from watching it. All right. So <laughs> well, the other is a. Full- <laughs> <laughs> there is a well you, you can, there's a lot of what different ways this movie can make you wet one way is to do it in 40x <laughs> oh no i'll never do that again where they spray gross theater water it's, at your face it's a real thing <laughs> yeah where is the water coming how long has it been there who refills it, it? Set the cinemark, cinemark here in oklahoma city come on 
I saw an anime with that. And I'm like, 4DS it was cool, and it was a it was a romantic anime, and it didn't work with 4DX. Speaking right. of which, I really wish Crimes of the Future was in 4DX with the the, the breakfast chair, the breakfastizer, yeah. whatever. So you can, would, would they do surgery on you during the movie? Is that how that works? Ooh, I, <laughs> Ooh that's see, that's too far from me. I don't think I would. Partake. Caleb, we're not ready yet. Mm-mm. We're not ready. Mm-mm. That's not my art. No. So, so that was Avatar the last one. Avatar, and I really want to see everything everywhere all at once. I haven't seen it. I know. I got it. I can, I I can lend it to you. Please You're lend here. it to me. Yes. Ron's eyes are so big. Yeah, they're right so now. big. You are <laughs> so big. The movie of the year. I you know. See it. it is I the know, best movie. It was okay. So, so Josh, uh, uh, and yes. for listeners who, who did miss last episode, firstly, go listen to that very lengthy conversation. But secondly, Great. small spoiler: we might or might not have all had the same number one movie. Last one technically constitutes five. It's Pale Blue Eye. Yeah, that's, that technically counts as a 2022 movie. What do yeah. you think of that, by the way? I want to see it. It's a oh, movie you want to see seen. it? Oh, okay. Yeah. okay. It's, it's been on my list, man. Too busy. It what just came out like a couple weeks ago. I, oh, I watched that's good. I watched it okay. earlier this week. Yeah. It's uh, They're actually not too far behind on that. No, no, no. Oh, it just came out. Yes. just came out. Yeah. Not like Hereditary. Like from <laughs> yeah. Hey, yeah. hey, it's, it's okay. Don't worry. Um, but what's it called? Bo is uh, Bo is afraid. Bo is afraid. afraid. We'll, we'll make that a first. We'll watch that opening weekend, Josh. I'll make sure. Don't Ho- worry. Hopefully, we get scared by your dog barking again. That was oh great. my god! That oh was no! Absolutely um, terrifying. Okay, so this is a side tangent I was not prepared to have, but let's just say, <laughs> Joshua, uh, Josh, and I, a few, before the holidays, he'd never seen Hereditary, and we, for reasons, had to reschedule a couple times. And finally, I think it was like a week or so before Christmas, you come over, we watch Hereditary. You and I are dialed in on the movie. Uh, you guys have seen the movie, right? So you, you know I the didn't, scene. I didn't see it. I lived it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a movie you watched. It's a movie you experienced. It's true. Yeah. So the scene where Tony Collette is at the house and decides that they're gonna, you know, bust up the Ouija board and, and start chanting and whatnot. You know how the the candle? There's the scene where the candle. Okay. Mm. So we're sitting there, really dialed in. <laughs> And we have this very nice sound system. During the uh, seance, you mean? Yeah, the seance. Yes, yeah, yes, yeah, okay, yes. okay. And uh, like it gets, we're focused in, we're quiet. The dogs, in the, one of my dogs is in the ring with us. And then it goes, you know, because the, the, the candle explodes. My dog starts going crazy. Josh and I both jump out of our chairs. And then there's a dog barking in the movie. We're like, <laughs> nope, nope. <laughs> that movie would have been shut off and broken down. <laughs> I think we almost did for a second. I'm like, I'm like dude, is this, is this real? Yes. Is this happening right now? <laughs> yeah. These Great are movie. Fun times at Masters Manor. So <laughs> thank you. Masters Movie I, Manor. All right. I'll, 10 years from now, I'll still be crying about Tony Collette not even getting an Oscar nomination. <sighs> no, for so good. So it's good. A shame. So good. Oh, Lord. So good. So, listeners, oh. you can definitely tell this is the beginning of the year. We're just kind of trying to catch up and share some stories, and we're a little kind of all over the place, but it's okay. Josh, you've got a lot of work to do, my friend, but don't worry. You are with the right people. We're going to help you catch the best movies of 2022. I'm relying on you guys. <laughs> now, I also put out a call on the Twitter, as we did at the end of that episode, very quickly, a list off a few of the films we're most excited to see in 2023. Um, so, Daniel, uh, could you give us a rundown? I mean, what what do the people have to say when we ask them the movies they're most excited yeah, to see this man, year? And Keith, then again, he just comes in with this just this long, long comment. <laughs> you won't believe he just he's he just I'll just read it. It says Dune part two, baby. And I saved my love for Keithan for right now because I knew this was happening. So, Keithan, I absolutely agree. Might I add the spas because we are going to be immersed in it uh, come the end of this year. 
Um, I also hope, you know, there's a lot of things to be excited for about this film. I, I, I was not a huge Elvis pa- fan, but I will say that I hope Austin Butler uh, brings a little bit of that to the, the fade Ratha. I, uh, hey, also- I just want to stop you right there again. Uh, you know, mentioning the Golden Globes, uh, they were just... Uh, they aired last night as of the time we're recording this. And yeah. Austin Butler showed up, accepted his award with his Elvis voice. It was yes. very bizarre. What? Yes. yes. The whole okay. speech and his Elvis I'm voice. I'm going to assume he only has an Elvis voice yeah, now. And so every interview he's in, I was like, this guy is Elvis. He <laughs> is. He re- He's a reincarnation well, of Elvis. It's not LARPing This anymore. is not a voice he's, <laughs> I, he's playing at. The, he I just talks I have like to, that. I have, to give it, I have to give it to, I think it was Matt Goldberg on Twitter, tweeted out. I was thinking it, but he he tweeted it, it out first. It was he screen capped Robert Downey Jr. from Tropic Thunder, where Robert Downey Jr. says, "Man, I don't drop character till I've done a DVD commentary." <laughs> yeah. Austin Butler. I I will say, first of all, like if it, I I don't know. I just I just think if Evil Space Elvis is what we are slated <laughs> for, that is still pretty good. That that is still awesome. So I I will be there for it. I also just want to say like it's it's interesting to finally see how this story being properly paced in a cinematic form is going to shake out. I think throughout 2023 we're going to get into some really exciting, maybe potentially a little weird uh science fiction waters. So even if this film disappoints at the box office, I do not want it to. I don't believe it will. But if it does, it will have to bomb particularly hard um, in my heart to disappoint me. Um, There's no way, man. No, I, I don't think it's possible. But we'll we'll see. And I like it weird. But uh, mm-hmm. Chaz, uh, Chad Perry's man again. He also uh, chimed in uh, really just with the gif of uh, Dom Toretto and uh, <laughs> basically saying, I don't have friends. I've got family. Uh, so, of course, he is not talking about uh, the sequel to Shazam. He is talking about Fast 10. Uh, no, no, no. Whoa, 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 whoa. What? Fast X. Fast oh, X. excuse me. Yes, Fast. Because it sounds, like, a pro- it sounds like some sort of yeah. drug that you would it's see fancy. sold in late night. Yeah. It, it, at this point, it is. Uh, but Fast X. <laughs> I, I, you know, like last year, I started the fa- I was like, I am watching this. I'm going to watch this movie. I'm going to get caught up or watch this movie, excuse me, movies. And I'm going to get caught up. And so I started the fast fan tries and I made it through like one and a half movies. Oh, <laughs> just, no. I stopped. I stopped. Okay. I, well, okay. Okay. Wait, wait, wait. Previously I did watch all the way up to when they dropped the articles and it was just fast and oh, furious. No, was fourth, that? Okay. Fourth, 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 uh, Daniel, okay. so you got to go one more. One more. You, you got to go. What, you you got to go to fast five. Fast right. five is where it changes okay. everything. It, it literally does. I, I, I think even as in, I mean, I'm going to say up to that point, I was probably a lukewarm fast and furious fan. Like in terms of like, just be, I watched them because I was of age appropriate. It was, a, it was a guilty <laughs> right. pleasure. Guilty. Franchise. Yeah, exactly. Then the fifth one came out and it was like, Okay, wait a minute. It's like so like the franchise got a resurgence. And then like five onward with exception of maybe one. One. Yeah. One in there. Just like they just they finally realize it's like the season of a show when it finally like finds its footing and realizes yeah. how stupid and ridiculous it is. It cracks the code. The fifth one cracks the code. Of like, because what they, to do. they they're like all of a sudden they're like, We're not about cars, we're about heists that happen to use cars and weird <laughs> contraptions. They're like, oh, wait, this drama is so bad. We have to lean into it. Lean into it. <laughs> and they do. Ham it up. Yes. Make it as like, but it's like, it's so self-serious in a self, in a such a self-knowing way that by the time you, you know, you get it's, to the end of fight, like, okay, they get it. This is a comedy now. They they, <laughs> like, they are weirdly sincere, but also completely fully aware of how absolutely 
bananas everything they're doing right. is, and it just works. And it becomes amusing. I mean, I don't know. I'm not. Okay. I'm, I'm well, not going to hard. Daniel, did you know <laughs> that you were talking to two of the biggest no, fast and furious? I, I knew I was I talking to one of them it. because Laron. I cannot tell you how many <laughs> jogs or runs Caleb and I have gone on, and we've brought up Fast and Furious, and he. But I guess his selling me on it was not enough. But Laron, now that that you have piled onto that. <laughs> We I will whole, watch did, them all this we year. We did a whole Fast and the Furious <laughs> Thanks, retrospective podcast we did. over all nine of the movies. We did at the, time. I, I, the F9 it. review. In the F9 <laughs> review, we went through and ranked all of them. And and in the pod, see, Laurent and I, until that point, had never had a proper Fast and Furious podcast. So that was where, yeah. and it, it was right after the pandemic too. So it was like all this pent up pandemic conversation. Yeah. With Fast and Furious for two hours. <laughs> for two hours. With Brock and Lay was, and Jason Black and Laron and myself. And, yes. and it was. And we had just seen the ninth the film. Ninth one, the ninth film. Which is and, better than the eighth film. Which is insane to say that this franchise has gone on as long as it has. But as long as they keep this tone right, they gotta get I right. will keep watching them. Uh, you know, eight almost took us both out. We were like, both of us were like, we're done. One mistake, no, that, we're out of no, this that's place. The thing, that's, the thing, that, that, that's the thing with these movies. The se- like the second, like they it, mess it up. The second done. they like lose the like that that thin I've line wasted. of sincerity and silliness, mm-hmm. which the eighth film totally lost it. I've wasted it's like, my brain cells, <laughs> and I will not. If you don't, if, you, if it will not be in vain, no, you know, like so exactly. Over. <laughs> it, it, it's so weird because I was like, I after the eight, Laurent and I were both like, I think we're, I done. think we're done. And but, then the ninth one came back, and it oh, and Justin Lin, I think I'm back. They they brought Justin Lin, who was who was really the secret sauce, back for nine, and we're back in. But see, here's the big question, Laurent. Justin Lin um, had a big falling out with the production. He was supposed to direct the last two, Fast 10 and Fast 11, which is supposed to be the last one, allegedly. And uh, apparently it was very brutal. uh, And he is still listed as a producer, but he's no longer directing the film. And he, like, quit after they'd already started shooting. So, like, it... uh, I'm very concerned about this movie. Yeah, well... Chad, I still, regardless, <laughs> you've got the reason to be excited, and uh, I'll be there for it as well. Um, <laughs> Chad opened Pandora's box. Yeah, 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 well, I <laughs> thought we were selling you on Avatar too. No, no, that was the ruse. <laughs> <sighs> Next, and uh, last but not least, we've got the uh, Oklahoma Film Critics Circle president, Jeff Houston, uh, responded to uh, Caleb's image of Indiana Jones, saying, "This one is definitely mine." Huge indie fanboy. I, too, Jeff, am a fan of great independent cinema, such as the entire Indiana Jones franchise. No, kidding. Indiana Jones is an institution. I do not expect uh, Dial of Destiny to be any different, though we're not getting a Spielberg Indiana Jones, which that actually could be, could be a, for about the best. Yeah. Well, see, I was very concerned, but then they're like, but it's James Mangold. Manigold, and I yeah. was like, oh, crap. Logan, Ford versus Ferrari. Like you've, you've got a good track record. Yes, especially yeah. as of late. And oh, we go uh, 310 to Yuma. Uh, that was like, that's right. Oh, yeah. that was like 2007. Great Western. Good Western remake. Really, yeah. Really good. Yeah. Very solid. Yeah. I think it almost belongs in a conversation with something like guys. I have a confession to make. Yeah. I did not think I was going to be nearly as excited about this Indiana Jones movie as I am, but it's the, I don't know if it's the John Williams music cues. I don't know if it's Indiana Jones yeah. riding that horse, but the trailer definitely gets me emotional in a way yeah. I didn't know I, I could still get emotional. And it's telling. It's very telling because, right, there was a lot, you know, short after the, the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. We were expecting an Indiana Jones sequel at one point, another one, a fifth one. But it was, a I think, fundamentally different film. I, I think what we were expecting and what we and it's it's gone through so much. But the fact that it's still um, exciting now um, I, I think is, I don't know. I think that's impressive. So yes. Uh, also a fun fact. I 
I think I'm the only person I know who will go to bat for Crystal Skull. I yes, you are. You might, yeah. <laughs> you I, might, yeah. I don't I think believe it's bad. That. I don't think it's bad. But, but you know, do you think it's good? I think it's better than Temple of Doom. Uh, Temple of Doom has amazing set pieces. Hyperventilating. <laughs> oh no! I, There's a lot of things in that movie that are very hard to watch in the year of our Lord 2023. I, yeah, I do forget that. I admittedly, it's been a while. But isn't that movie PG and it has somebody getting their heart pulled out? It in fact was the reason they invented the PG-13 rating. Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> I love that movie. I'll also say, just, because just to make double down on James Mangold, he made one of my favorite movies of the nine. 90- the 90s, 1999, Girl Interrupted. Ooh. And, oh. And I, I'm, I'm a weird person where that's like one of my top 10 favorite movies, and it's totally a flawed movie, but I just love mm-hmm. it. And uh, Angelina Jolie won her Oscar for it, so I have faith in the new indie. So. Yeah, I'm feeling, I've, got, I've got really good feeling about this one. Ladies and gentlemen, especially those of you who are like me and don't hate Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, we'd love to hear from you. You can uh, always find us tweeting about these things on our Twitter profile at The Cinematrop, or you can hit us up on, up on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash The Cinematropolis. You can also send us your thoughts on any of the topics we've discussed so far or your thoughts on today's review, Megan, by sending us an email at thecinematropolis at gmail.com. All right, gentlemen, so our next item of business, this week's icebreaker question, Megan. Huge hit this weekend, by the way. It wasn't big enough to to dethrone Avatar in its fourth weekend, but it was a huge hit, way overperforming. Megan made $30 million at the weekend box office domestically and $45 million worldwide against a budget of $12 million. This thing was a monster. I think it was projected on the high end to, to originally to come in at 25 domestically, so it overperformed their lofty expectations for it. With that in mind, I I don't know. The pandemic has had me watching the theatrical box office business closer than I ever have because I'm like, oh, my God, is this still going to be here in a year? With that said, I would love to talk with you guys. What 2023 movie do you think will be the highest grossing film of the year? And I know that we're not really box office analysts or aficionados. We just kind of casually read headlines. So that's why I'm going to give us all three guesses. Get three guesses. And listeners, fear not, we will revisit our guesses here in a year, the beginning of 2024 to find out if any of us were close. So Josh Reed, our special guest, what are your three guesses for highest grossing film of 2023? Well, I like uh, betting on winning horses. So I'm going to do Indiana Jones five. I'm going to do Dune two. Ooh, Dune two. That is bold. And maybe little mermaid. Little Mermaid's a good guess. Yeah. Lest we forget, The Lion King, I think, was the number eight, set, it was like eight or nine highest grossing movie until Avatar 2 kicked it off its pedestal. It made well over a billion and a half dollars. So uh, Avatar 2 is better than that. I will say that. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And I had high expectations. I, Listen, uh, Beyonce hey, was playing Nala. Hey. I was there at opening night. Hey. In fact, it was my third night with Craig, actually. That was our third date. Oh. And we it, both left and we were like, well, I'm sorry the movie wasn't better, but it's nice to meet you. Oh, <laughs> oh, that was there. So, that's so sweet. I do want to throw in as much everything I've, despite everything I've said about Avatar two, I absolutely agree it is better <laughs> than the Lion King remake. Nothing in the world, Josh, would make me happier than seeing Doom Part Two be the highest grossing movie of the year. Hell, if it's in the top five next year, I will be super pumped. I should specify these are the top three uh, highest grossing films domestically. We're not necessarily uh, guessing worldwide. So I just want to put that that, that out there. Uh, I think Indiana Jones is also a great guess. Daniel Bokemper. 
what are your three guesses? So a little bit similar to Josh, I've got like what I want it to be, <laughs> um, what I think it could likely be, and then what I think might be a dark horse. Um, but they're all, I feel like, semi-realistic. Uh, so, of course, I want it to be Dune Part 2. And I think that one potentially has a shot. I I doubt it will, but I, I think it could. Um, I think more realistically, I think something like potentially – it has competition, but I think like what might get it is like Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Um, I think that has a chance. <laughs> what I would like to see do it that still I think could, again, probably not. But I think there's a bit of an excitement built around it is uh, Across the Spider-Verse. I think that movie stands a very strong chance of being yes. number one. Yes. It's, it's a four quad, well, mostly four quadrant movie. It's animated. Guys, Spider-Man, Spider-Man uh, No Way Home made almost $2 billion. Yeah, that's what I mean. So it's like, it's all like pre-existing IPs, but that's kind of where that's, we're at. That's where we're at, man. Anyway, but yeah, but I, I'm also still curious about, again, like the Megans out there, the ones that are do exponentially better than anticipated. I also, and I say all of that to be like, what are, when is, when is the Peter Dinklage starring toxic Avenger film going to come out? It's, <laughs> it's wrapped up principal photography. So I, I, I'm thinking it could come out this year. Yeah, the dark horse is going to be the toxic Avenger. So, yes. Oh, yes. Okay. I, let's wait a year. Let's see what, <laughs> you know, we never would have guessed. Uh, sometimes, you know, there are movies like that that come out of nowhere. Uh, I mean, everything of Royal at once. We didn't, no one, Thought that'd be a hundred million dollar movie. No one thought that'd be. I, I didn't even know if, we didn't know if it was gonna be good, let alone a A twenty four's biggest movie of all time. Yeah, right. Laurent Chapman, what are your three guesses? Man, I'm I'm gonna say this with a little trepidation now after hearing everyone else's guesses, um, and this might be ambitious for me, but I I feel like um, Barbie. You guys are mm. underestimating Barbie, and the reason I say Barbie. Is because not necessarily before the Greta Gerwig and the Noah Baumbach. That that's that, gonna get the film heads there. Those are like cinephiles. Those are yeah. like for the cinephiles. So, but that's but that also works in its favor because if you're thinking about this as like a pie, you know what I mean. Like thinking about all the little sectors. You got your art house people who like movies, like art artsy folks, and then you got just the populace. Think about every little girl who what is the first toy they get when they're you know what I mean. Like Barbie is such an is so almost uh, synonymous with the idyllic version of what on the all American girl to a lot of with a lot of problematic you know insight, but still all the same. Um, and I think that that's going to appeal to the younger generation. It's going to appeal to it's just Barbie's universal. And then also internationally because it goes everywhere. Barbie's everywhere. So I could see that being a smash hit. It might not be the number one, but I see it being a very high grossing film next year so, or this year. So Okay. I think that's I, – I love that you're going to bat for it because I, I am really, really, really interested in, in A, how this movie turns out, but also – it feels like it could be too weird to connect with the mainstream or yeah or it's like the everything everywhere at once where you're like well, yeah it's too weird to connect the mainstream oh but wait it's such a good movie it does like, anyway i feel mm -hmm. like there's a nugget for everybody in the family yeah. to go see it you know so just something family. something uh, but my other two guesses i also have dune part 2 in my second spot and the number 3 man i just don't know it's somewhere between i've just got a tie between guardians of the galaxy volume 3 Possible's Indiana Jones, Little Mermaid, I think is also going to be a big hit. Yeah. Um, yeah, big. And man, I'd love to see something like Mission Impossible. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, 
get up there. Tom Cruise saved this year. He brought movies back to his guys. So I'm just saying he could do it again. That bike's done. done. He could do it again. Oh, that bike's done, man. I can't wait. Well, you know, here's something else to think about. Uh, Top Gun Maverick was the biggest movie until Avatar dethroned it for almost the entire year was the biggest film of 2022. And they had a trailer for Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning in front of every single screening. Not the IMAX preview, but they had like a mini trailer in front of every single viewing of uh, Top Gun Maverick because it's also, I believe, a Paramount film. People definitely know it's coming. Yeah. And the last one, Mission Impossible... Uh, Mission Impossible Fallout was the biggest film in the entire franchise. I think it, I need to check the numbers, but I think it was like around $800 million worldwide, which is pretty big. My bold prediction, 2022 is the year that they finally crack video game adaptations. So this next Sunday, The Last of Us TV show is airing. The oh, critical so buzz excited. from TV critics who have not played the games yeah. have been through the roof. Like, yeah. like, like they've been like Alan Sepinwall wrote, a, gave it a huge glowing review and he doesn't play the games. And I'm like, Alan Sepinwall is like the gold standard of television. I have criticism. never played the game, and I am totally intrigued by it based on people who have played the game and also just from everything I've heard about it, read about it, so that there's some there's something to that. It is one yes. of my favorite games. Ever oh, made. yeah. One of my favorite games ever made. Definitely uh, one of the best stories in video games, but also, and this is why I'm curious about the adaptation, some of the things that work really well about it work because you're interact, interacting yeah. with the story. Yeah, and I'm really curious about how they're going to make that transition to television. Me too. By the way, uh, listeners, it's probably going to be a bonus episode. I know it's it's not a movie, but I don't care. This is my podcast. <laughs> we're talk, so we're probably going to talk about uh, The Last of Us in depth on uh, the Cinematic Schematica at some point this year. Um, so, but that said, the other big elephant in the room, the Super Mario Brothers movie. Guys, Mario is as recognizable globally as Mickey Mouse or close to it. He's like an iconic character you think vi- people who, who don't play video games think about video games they think mario i think it's a four quadrant film because it's animated let's remove the boomer generation from that not i'm not trying to be kind of saying i'm just saying like generally speaking that's the one demographic that i'm like i don't know how much this is going to appeal to like my parents like they're not going to go see it on their own they might take the grandkids to see it though that said gen xers millennials gen z Played the hell out of Mario, Mario Party, Mario Kart. Even still, still, I mean, like the, the Mario, the Mario games come out and they sell tens of millions. Mario uh, Kart Eight on the Nintendo Switch is the best selling game on that console. It, uh, guys, Mario is massive. So, the big question I have is: Is the movie good? I think if the movie is good, the critical reception is positive. People show up first weekend, and it's word of mouth, and it's a. Mo- I think it's a monster. A bold prediction is I think Mario, Super Mario Brothers movie. So what movie. you're saying is it's Barbie versus Mario. Yeah. And we'll Whoa. see how this that's, that's the false dichotomy. They're trying to pit, uh, pit Greta Gerwig versus Chris Nolan, but I think it's going to be Mario. Is it Chris Nolan? Because uh, uh, Chris Nolan, uh, the same day as Barbie, uh, oh, Oppenheim, Oppenheimer, Oppenheimer is opening yeah. the same day as Barbie currently. All yeah. Right. I'm pretty pumped about that too. <laughs> yeah. I don't I see both. And that's another one though. It could be a dark horse. Um, Oppenheimer, it's not on my list of picks, but that is one I think could, you know, attract the older demographic who yeah. showed up to Top Gun Maverick, for example. And it's got Cillian Murphy. Oh, dude, it's not. It's so. Hold on one second. It doesn't just got Cillian Murphy's just the tip of the iceberg, man. Hold on. Uh, l- let me go through this cast list really fast because it's, it is unbelievable how many actors they have in this movie. So just the top build. Oh, actually, here's a, oh, here's a longer list. Cillian Murphy, 
Emily Blunt, Matt Damon, Robert Downey Jr., Florence Pugh, Rami Malek, Ben Safdie, Josh Hartnick. Josh Hartnick back from the grave, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, let's see who else. Dane DeHaan, Alden El- Elnreich. Oh, my God. Han Solo's in here, too. Matthew Modine, Jack Quaid, Jason Clark, Josh Peck. They got Josh Peck from Drake and Josh. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh! It, it Casey Affleck, Gary Oldman as Harry S. Truman. There is a lot of very famous wow. people in this movie. Did I, I didn't Mario know about this list. Is? Super Mario might be making a cameo. Yeah, but she didn't know Chris Nolan was a Mario fan. Wait, Gary Oldman is Harry S. Truman? Yep, uh, according huh. to Wikipedia. He went straight to from one leader to another, didn't it? Has he done anything since uh, Churchill? I mean, he's been in a bunch of movies. Uh, right now, he's in Slow Horses on Apple TV. That's right. Uh, yeah. But he's been in other movies like. I have to look on top of my head, but yeah. Gary Oldman shows up in at least three movies a year. Probably. <laughs> uh, so anyway, number, my number one pick, Super Mario Brothers movie, followed closely by Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Again, I just think Spider-Man is so big, and No Way Home showed the, the power of that IP, and people loved the first uh, Into the Spider-Verse film. It is top five superhero movies of all time for me. Okay. So, Lastly, I am going to go to Bad for Indiana Jones because I do think it hits all the quadrants. The one group that I'm actually a little worried about with that one is the younger crowd. Yeah. I think I think it's one of those where like the last one came out in 2008. I think we're the last generation. Yeah. Like ours. Yeah. Millennials get it, but I, I don't like, you know, I don't think Gen Z woke up in their, you know, oh my gosh, it's an Indiana Jones DVD. Like you know? they're vaguely aware of it, but they're not like excited for it necessarily i mean that's just speculation but yeah i don't i don't see i think the same thing with like scream i think we're the last generation they're like oh, what's this okay we've moved on horror movies saul right it started with saul right yeah. saw and hostile definitely. <laughs> those are the first horror <laughs> the movies oh, no. <laughs> good movie i will say dark horse picks i'm just throwing these out there i'm not counting these i'm just throwing um i do think fast x don't underestimate the power of family guys that the, the these the fast and furious movies make they make a crap ton of money. A dumb amount of money. Um, and then you know, and it's all because of me going to the theater four yeah, times. Four times. <laughs> at least, at least. In a just world, though, it would be Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning Part One and Dune Part Two, no doubt, no doubt. But we do not live in a just world because we live in a world where we're going to jump into our spoiler-free review of Megan. Katie, you lost your parents. Welcome home. You're my niece. I'm going to do everything I can to make this place feel like home. Just wish I could see them again. I'm not equipped to handle this. I don't even take care of my own plants. I have this project at work. Do you want to see? Yes. Ever since I was little, I dreamed of this perfect toy that would protect a kid from ever feeling lonely or sad. This is Megan. Hi, Megan. I'm Katie. nice to meet you, Katie. Do you want to hang out? Okay. So according to IMDb, Megan is described as a robotics engineer at a toy company builds a lifelike doll that begins to take on a life of its own. Just a quick note about this film is it does mark the second collaboration between writer Akila Cooper and James Wan, the first being last year's sleeper hit Malignant. Malignant, we're not going to talk about that movie a ton, but just know that that was a movie that I think people weren't sure how to Initially, we're not sure how to process, but it has developed quite the cult following among horror fans online. Uh, and they are also working together again on the Conjuring verse sequel, The Nun 2. I skipped the first one because I heard it was bad, but uh, maybe. It was. Maybe. Ooh. <laughs> Confirmed. 
Uh, another thing I want to note about this film is it is rated PG-13. And the original script for this film, according to uh, Akilah Cooper, was much gorier. And there is an unrated cut that's expected for the home video release. We can put those fears at bay that we will get the harder version of this movie. Gentlemen, shall we jump into this amazing TikTok meme that is <laughs> Megan? LaRon Chapman, what were your overall um, thoughts on the film? I love this movie um, just because of how bonkers it is. And um, I fully anticipated this to be like um, trash, but like my kind of trash, the kind of trash that I'll defend and die on that hill with. Um, like the Fast and the Furious Like movies. the Fast and the Furious movies, yeah. absolutely. Um, I'm there with you. But um, I, what I was surprised by this was just how polished and sophisticated this trash was and that it had a lot more going on in its noggin than I think you would have expected from a movie about sentient AI, you know, films, uh, killer dogs kind of genre that we've seen so many iterations of. Um, so yeah, I mean, I was, I was uh, refreshingly surprised by this being a really good genre film, um, not changing the wheel, but, but, just hitting all of its marks, you know, right on the key. So, mm-hmm. so Laron loved Megan. Josh Reed, what did you think of Megan? So i I thought it was pretty good. I thought it was pretty good. I didn't love it. That's fair. Um, mostly because out of my horror movies, I like being really, really creeped out. Like I like feeling like this dread. And there are some of those moments. I'm like. Really quiet moments. I love it when I kind of just let it die down the noise and you just kind of like take a look at her. You just kind of like take in what she actually is uh, and just the implications of AI and the connectivity to the internet. That's the other thing. I won't talk about that. But um, I think for me, I love the practical effects. Like I'm a huge, huge fan of practical effects. Um, I love seeing tech companies get roasted for the dumb shit they do um, pretty much constantly being in the tech industry. Um, and then the pacing was amazing. Like, I think it's just like, it skipped. yeah, it flew. It cut out a lot of the crap I didn't really need and got right to the stuff I really liked. And uh, yeah, I have a whole lot to add in that regard, but. Generally pro. Sounds like you liked it quite yeah. a bit. Yeah. All right. Very pro. Daniel Bokemper, what did you think of Megan? There is so much to like about this doll. It's it's the right amount of charming and it doesn't take itself too seriously. Um, which, when it's done right, I think that almost enhances pretty much any horror film that can get that balance right. Um, of course, even calling it like a straight horror film that that feels a bit off. But again, it's it that's that's part of the appeal. I I I, I would honestly think this, it's a, it's a horror comedy. It is a horror comedy, but I easily see this being like I think a a gateway into the genre. Like I, I really think that there's probably a lot of. I mean, my. My niece, uh, who would otherwise not go to horror films in general, has never talked to them about me now. Like she, she's actually excited about this. So it's, it's, it's interesting. I think it's going to 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 convert some people. And again, I, I think that's great. I think it might be a foundational film, um, you know, for a lot of fans. I, I think it's pretty much exactly what it needs to be to speak to Laurent's point. It asks familiar questions and it trends on things we know and it uses tropes that we're very familiar with, including the malicious AI, very well. Um, but it, it frames, it has big questions too. Like it it is asking some really important things and it does so in a way that's more accessible and, 
if it's ham fisted, it's only ham fisted because it's hilarious to do be that way. And we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit later, but I think it just has like meditations on things that I did not expect really sort of the commercialization and exploitation of like childhood trauma and grief. It just gets at that. So, so, so very well. And that's something we don't see all that much with it. We've seen AIs look at childhood and we've seen them interact with children, but we, we haven't really seen one quite like this, that, that really takes it to that next level about how it, it kind of meditates on it. And it does it by being very quick and very well paced and very funny and very memorable. Um, the, the qualms I have with Megan, it's like, it's kind of hard. They're very few. And like the one I can think is just that maybe, I mean, this is a little hard to say because I, I, I'm bringing up something that is not so much a criticism with Megan itself, but maybe a trope we're kind of familiar with. And I think it is that malicious AI. I think when we first started, you know, in incorporating AI and stuff like that, like even, you know, as early as in, in earlier even, but, but I'll just use how 9,000 and 2001 in space odyssey as an example, we, we didn't, we like had no idea how AI would actually be integrated into our lives every day um, and continue to be and continue to surprise us and, and what they're capable of. But that was very ahead of its time. And I think slowly and with time, we've started to kind of catch up a little bit to ourselves in a post Siri Alexa. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're catching up and I think uh, the thing that's most interesting to me, and we'll probably talk about it a little more in spoilers, but right. uh, is uh, how the things that AI is achieving is not that different from what we thought. It's the way that they're doing it. Is yeah. It manifests itself mm -hmm. very differently. Yeah. And that, and that's what I'm getting at. It's, it's, it's different. And so I think maybe in some ways our fears might be due for an upgrade. And again, that's not, really a good like direct criticism for Megan. Daniel, there's a great movie called Upgrade I, also about AI, yeah, rogue AI. I do recommend that one as well. That was also just such a great tagline. Our fears are due for an upgrade. Maybe. Uh, like, <laughs> Daniel, have you have you tried writing uh, movie poster taglines? I throw them out at them. I throw them out at them all the time and they never take them. They were not ready. Your time is near. Your no, is no. Coming. Maybe, maybe sometime. But I, I think yeah, I but I like it. I really, really like it. Again, the criticism I have is like that is not really specific to Megan. I think it's just Megan like captures that trope and presents it in a pretty well, good and accessible way that like it, 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 it. You see the flaws with it too. Like that's the thing. So it's it's a it's a kind of an odd double edged sword with with how well it presents that. And at the same time, it still has to be a little familiar. It still has to play on just kind of a fear that we've had and we've had established it just, I don't know. It makes me look at it in a slightly different light, even down to the small things like Megan's digitized voice. Like every now and again, her voice will be digitized. And it's like, well, why do we need that? And, uh, and because it, 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 sounds, it an awful, sounds an awful lot like the digital things we have in our homes right now. Right? Exactly. And I'm like, but those, they have like regular cadence and they, they like, it, it's weird. Like we only use that for Megan to make, remind us that she is not human and that she's terrifying. But I think, we're so familiar with these things now a little bit that like, I wonder if we need that. And if maybe that idea is a little antiquated, um, but it works. A bit. Like that's the thing is like the, the film suspends your belief well enough that it still works and you're still there for it. And it's an easy way to cue that this doll ain't right. But like it, and, but it's a way she is. She, she really is in some ways. And we'll explore that a, a little bit later, but like, yeah, I, I, I do really like it. I, surprisingly, again, similar to Laurent, kind of expecting it to be trash, but I was going to like like it in, in a lot of ways and just celebrate it. But it's actually just objectively really. Yeah. So I uh, I thought that 
like Laurent outlined, this was going to be a movie that I went and saw and laughed at it with a bunch of friends. And hate watch. Yeah, yeah. Like you're like, Oh, this is Morbius. so terrible. It's so fun. I'm, I, I love it. I love, yeah. Morbius. Well, except Morbius. Yeah. yeah. Morbius. Morbius is, <laughs> no, sorry, you know, Morbius we actually out. got through the entire uh, year, our year in discussion on 2022 and didn't bring up the year, the summer of Morbius. We're better than that. Yeah. It's not Morbius. We, we, we wait until the first episode of we the next year. We don't even acknowledge start. some trash. <laughs> it's it's Morbin time. Yeah. It's not Morbius. It's not Morbius me. It's Morbius. Uh, <laughs> oh, no. Morbius was just bad. That yeah. wasn't even like, <laughs> yeah. that wasn't even good, bad. I was thinking this was going to be a kind of a bad movie that we could kind of laugh at, but it was actually, you know, fun, comical. And here's the thing. Megan is in on the joke. That's the best part is it knows what you think it is. And it is that. And be, like Laurent, you already outlined it. It knows it's that. And it hits the beats every single step of the way. Uh, I do think there's a, there's some, yeah, very strong, uh, timely updates to the, the sort of the, our fears around technology. I, I found in particular the exploration of child attachment to uh, technology to be quite disconcerting. And the movie raises questions of like, well, if this technology is doing all the babysitting and parenting, what do we need you? Why for? do we yeah. need you yeah. for? You know, and they're like, oh, that's pretty deeply Sobering. disturbing. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. I don't think the movie really spends too long saying anything about that. I, I guess I wouldn't say this is a criticism because I wasn't looking for any sort of. Evo- evocative, deep, meaningful thoughts from Megan. But what I will say is it doesn't go particularly deep on any of the ideas. It's just very smart in how it presents them. It it brings up, it raises a flag and says, ah, and you're like, ooh. <laughs> yeah, that <laughs> is scary. home a little bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that's kind of scary. It's okay, like, here's a laugh. Here's a yeah. joke. Yeah, here's a, yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Titanium. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, no, I thought this movie was super funny. I think my biggest critique with it, honestly, and this is going to sound so shallow because it leans so much into the comedy. It, it was less, it was less scary than I expected mm. more funny than I expected. And because it leaned more into the horror comedy aspect, I kind of wish and uh, it was gorier. So sure. that's so shallow because I don't think horror needs to be rated R sure. to be good. And I think this is a good movie, but I will say there was a couple of these kills. I was like, uh, I, I was left feeling like I wanted a little, you more. could feel, yeah. How like yeah. Sub- intentionally subdued they were. A yeah. Bit. Like, right. Yeah. Yeah. I love how caricatured most of these people are. Everyone working at this tech company. I love it. I love the they're boss. So dumb. Literally. The boss is amazing. So Literally every side character isn't like, is useful. The neighbor, yeah. the neighbor has moments like comedic yeah. moments. Like, I mean, every character, that's small it has like a line no one's just there to be you know oh i'm just do to do you know whatever they they're there to be part of the joke in some capacity well it's so much so that i think if you're a seasoned horror movie watcher you're gonna see all of the kills coming from a mile away mm-hmm. yeah, you're like yeah, oh this yeah. person's probably gonna die in this way mm-hmm. and you're right they do that's the whole thing though it's the execution it's how how they're clever and how they they, they execute it like laron said so not a lot of surprises here not a lot of twists but Raises some very eerie questions. Yay. Um, could have been a little go- uh, goyer. Not a huge knock, but uh, I think this film delivered on what it promised. Uh, I think it's a good horror film. It's a great way to kick off 2023. Is Megan going to become a, a horror icon? I think the jury's still out, but this movie was a monster hit. And I will say, despite me wanting a harder R-rated goyer version of this movie, hey, the young audience showed up for this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And uh, they probably wouldn't have if it was rated R. So Yeah, and to, to Daniel's it. point, I really think that's a huge a huge selling point because I think that might even been why they did it. You know what I mean? Like yeah, to try and yeah. tap into 
and have this be a broader appealing film. And like you said, I think it will be a gateway for a lot of like, let's say, young 13, 14 year olds that go and see this that maybe haven't seen all the gory horror movies yet. Um, and this might be like just creepy enough for them to be able to to take it in. But then it might, you know, um, uh, intrigue them to kind of tap into other other genres. So. Yeah. So if I was going to put it in a certain way, we've all seen the Child's Play franchise, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I've not seen all of them, but I've seen, I think, the first five. Yes. And I have not watched the television show. I know Laurent's seen both it's seasons. Pretty of that. fantastic, actually. Wow. More than it has any right to be. But that's another <laughs> podcast. So huh. think of this as uh, tonally, I would say it's most like a PG 13 version of um, the, oh gosh, what is it? The fourth Chucky. Um, is that yeah. Bride? Is yeah, Bride, Bride, Bride of Chucky. Bride, yeah, Bride, Bride, yeah, Bride yeah. of Chucky. Yeah, the scene of Chucky goes full comedy. Uh, but the, yeah. the Bride of Chucky is still doing some horror type things, but it's definitely lots of winking at the camera right. and it knows it's yeah. kind of silly. It, it's like a PG, I mean, different movie, but like in terms of tonally, how do you balance the horror and the comedy? I would say that movie toned down quite a bit for a PG 13 audience is, is probably the closest comparison I could come to if you're thinking of scary doll movies. Yeah. And a question for you all, did the, the lack of gore, did that influence kind of your take on the film at all? Or was I the only one? It really didn't. And I wonder sometimes like, not that I'm not going to be there for it. If it was gory or if it was even rated R, I would, I would still ultimately see it. But I think like there's, there's certain things that I, I wonder about, like, you know, there's a, instance in this film where there could have possibly been some animal violence and there's a, there's an implication of it, but I don't need to see not that the rated R film version or whatever that gory version is demonstrates that, but it's like, that's something I don't really need to see the incomplete. Well, uh, no, 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 scary no. Enough. I, we're not talking about the animals, Daniel. I'm talking, no, I, I, I'm talking about the lady who gets, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. No, but then there's sequences like that where someone, yeah, yeah. uh, something happens to somebody. I'm talking deserved it. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Yeah. No. Uh, no. Listen, listen, my fiance, Lauren, uh, seeing animals maimed in movies is, well, like one of the most upsetting things yeah. you can see on the screen. So she looks at me and she's like, oh my God, yeah. is, is there going to be a dead dog in this movie? Uh, I was actually kind of impressed that they didn't show it. I'm like, oh, this is great. Yeah, yeah I know. I'm, yeah, Babadook went awesome. there. Babadook yeah. went there. I, um, <laughs> but like, I, uh, yeah, and that's to your point, Caleb, is we don't, we don't need that necessarily all the time. Like I, I enjoy it when it's there and when it's done well, but like it, it, it doesn't, it doesn't take away from the suspense or the tension or the questions that it's asking that are kind of scary. That, that has nothing to do with the amount of violence we, we physically see on screen. And really like Megan herself is not like, it, it might help a little bit, but I don't, I think the character and why she's endearing to us, I think the, the, the just be, if it, if it were a little bloodier, I don't think that would make much of a difference to that end, but it might be a little more fun. And again, I say all that, like, am I absolutely going to be there opening night for the just like devilish bloodbath that will be <laughs> Evil Dead Rise? Hell yes, I <laughs> yeah. will be there. But <laughs> not that's every, not the only reason. Yeah, not every, and, not, <laughs> and I, I want to reiterate, like, it does not like deter me no. from recommending the movie. It's mostly like, I do wonder if some of the sequences would have been a little more memorable if they'd had that little extra something. Yeah. And, and I think so. there's the scary, at least one instance. Yeah. I absolutely agree. The scariest parts of the film are definitely like the bigger questions and the scenarios they set up. Mm-hmm. Um, and Megan herself is pretty terrifying. Yeah. The, you look at her, that's the uncanny Valley and then the way she moves mm-hmm. or the way she seems to, <laughs> or when she just teleports places, she's not supposed to be. You're like, Hold oh, right. cow. Well, I will say um, I agree with both of you, um, but I'm going to play devil's advocate because my answer to your question is yes and no. The PG 13 is a deterrent and a, and a plus and a minus because 
I think on the one end, yes, I do. I absolutely do feel like I could I could feel them. I could feel where they pulled their punch. You know what I mean? In some in certain sequences where I'm like, oh, I wanted to see this really go for it with that in in an inventive, gory, creative way. Um, for the, those B level horror movie kind of visceral thrills that you can kind of get. Um, but I also think that because it didn't, that it it basically informed them and, and, and made them make a more sophisticated, more yeah. more quality film that didn't that was good without it. Yeah. You know, and so in that sense, like that also is always more important to me than than say what a lesser movie that wasn't as sophisticated or as clever or as intelligent as this one is. Um, would have used that gore as a crutch for bad storytelling. Yeah. And so, and the flip side of it, I think it worked in its advantage because then they had to make a good movie to still, you know, fulfill those 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 genre needs, sort of speak, um, without the blood and splatter. So, Man, just the way she moves. Hush. Yeah, so, she's so creepy. creepy. I think it's a really good point, Laron, though. Because yeah. they didn't have the gore to lean on, they had to be... Yeah, uh, they had to really in, increase yeah. the, the suspense the had to be suspense. tight and had to be yeah. nice. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, Josh, any thoughts on the, the amount of gore in the film? Well, that's sort of what I was going to bring up is that like those creepier moments are creepier because you're not getting gore blasted in your face constantly. So when you're talking about the voice, yeah, when you're talking about the voice earlier, um, I like the robotic voice. That uncanny valley is part of what makes it so creepy. Yeah. It's like and it reminds me of uh, Annihilation. Mm. Uh, if you guys have seen that, mm. earlier, the, oh, yeah, yeah, oh, the, yeah, the mimicry that stuff creeps me out, you know. And other things like her staring out a window, uh, yeah. just like little little moments like that. Yeah, her rising in the darkness from in the in the barn yeah. before she. Oh, well, we're going too far. Right, 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 right. I won't but say too much. I, I save most of my criticisms for the spoiler stuff because I kind of want to rant about some of the things. But yeah, overall, uh, I did really like it, and um, it just it's such a smart. I could almost say the gory version that we will see on DVD and the one we saw in theaters could be like two different movies in a way because mm. we will get very different feelings from both, I think. Yeah. I think they'll play out very differently whenever, you know, stuff happens to people in the movie. Not getting into that yet, but um, I think, yeah, that's it's, – it's, you guys covered base, basically all of that good stuff, which yeah. is kind of what I was thinking, yeah. So I'm not trying to agree with you too much, but – it's okay. Yeah. How dare you? It's okay if you do. Yeah. How dare you? I didn't expect myself to agree with Megan more than I did. Not every time. Yeah. I don't think I agree with every choice she made, but her reasoning for everything, I was actually that tracks. Yeah. Like, yeah actually, Megan, Megan did what she was programmed to yeah. do, yeah. which is also a scary thing. And I don't know what that says about me, but you know, she was on to something. Sometimes she was right. She yeah. was right. I'm just going to say, uh, Allison Williams plays the, the aunt in the film, Gemma. Mm hmm. I mean, I know her arc is to like figure out, learn how to parent, but <laughs> wow, lots and lots and lots of very bad exploitative parenting happening in this movie where I was kind of like, I mean, I don't want to agree with Megan, but you kind of are exploiting your niece for your job. It's kind of icky. So yeah. I actually bought her as the ro- as the robotics expert, though, yes. which, yes. I, which yeah. I didn't think I would because automatically sounded ridiculous on in, on paper to me but like um the language that they give her the jargon they give her was just out of reach for me enough to be like I can buy this 
It's probably not logical at all, but it sounds plausible in the context of the movie. And how she approached problems with her niece, she approached them very programmatically, like how a programmer yeah, would. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. Almost just, with no emotion. Just yeah, like, exactly. This well, is just a very yeah, practical yeah. solution to this. And, Do this. And yeah, and it just makes sense. Why aren't you getting this? Yeah. Well, I think it's it's okay to say uh, people understand that she goes on killing sprees in the movie. I think it's fair to say that they, they yes, everything's very logical, and they didn't program Megan with parameters. So well, she- you know, just asks honest questions, right? Yeah, and just that critique, you guys hit the nail on the head, that critique of workaholicism, like that that idea of just like, how many times has someone to their kid just been like, I gotta work, here's the iPad, mm-hmm. we'll do no, something. Megan is the yeah. iPad, that's the that whole is, thing. Yeah, exactly, and it's like. Well, yeah. And I've, listen, I don't, none of us here have children, but I have, I've heard from people that I know of, but college was a weird time. (laughs) Uh, You know, I, I do in fact have a niece and nephew. I have friends who have kids and you know, you give the kids the screen, they, they're quiet. They disappear. They're gone. They're gone. You know? And uh, if you're a parent who's a workaholic or not getting enough sleep or, you know, you're like, can I literally go out and do anything else? Uh, You know, the temptation is strong. Mm -hmm. Uh, Again, None of us have to manage this in our day-to-day lives, but uh, <laughs> Josh just knocked on the table. Yeah. <laughs> Please, God, not yet. Uh, so, um, but I do think it is, uh, to, Daniel, to your point, that that is one of the more powerful elements mm-hmm. of, I think, the social commentary they have here, which is like, yeah, what do you think is going to happen? Like, you, you know, AI, there will be a time in the next 10 years where we have AI and toys for children. Oh, yeah. And oh, what, yeah, yeah. what is that going to look like? It's a pretty scary idea, right? When you start to think through the ramifications, uh, especially when you have parents who would rather just give their kids a, a, a screen and not have to worry about it. Do you trust the, the robot AI to raise your kid better than you? I mean, it's, a, yeah, pretty, pretty scary stuff. All right, so ladies and gentlemen, we're going to uh, begin to wrap up our spoiler-free review just by leaving uh, a letter grade for you. So Josh Reed, special guest today, what letter grade would you give Megan? I gave it a B plus. B plus. B plus. Very good. Yeah. Very strong recommendation. I think, I think it was solid. Uh, had a lot of good modern themes uh, about tech companies, tech progression, and how the new generation integrates with our new tech. And then there's some real subtle and not so subtle questions about, you know what makes things alive kind of thing um, and what it means for really just kids as their brains develop, you know, what, 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 how, how will they end up? Not, not a bad thing. It could not, you know, could be a great thing. Could, could be, could have a whole new generation of developers really going full on AI. We could have, you know, chips in our brains one day. Who knows? Yeah. Well, you know, it, it raises a question, bigger question about AI are, is the AI our servant to just do what we tell it? Or do we form a more um, equal relationship with our AI right. and learn to work with them? Mm-hmm. Genuine question that I think is a, we are in a very ripe time to explore that in our horror and science fiction. Yep. Daniel Bokemper, what letter grade would you give Megan? Uh, likewise, I give it a B plus. I, I teetered on giving it just a B, maybe B minus, but no, this chaotic robo bay slays she gets <laughs> the b plus i we, someone none of us said slay yet so i was like we have to <laughs> we were saving it for later <laughs> oh, okay my bad my bad uh, but yeah, it was, was it fast enough this off. But, but yeah I, I just think those those quite and josh gets to it i think those like questions it's asks it, it's very important it's very telling but it's like it's still fun like it's still very accessible and like it goes a long way it's so 
good. And I think in a lot of ways, maybe to some extent, a little bit of what we like about like everything everywhere all at once is it is X important questions, but it's still like we can consume it very easily. And that's just that clarity in filmmaking is, mm. is so, nice. so good. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, B plus for me. B plus. Heck yeah. LaRon Chapman. You know, oddly, I've oscillated between that same letter grade, mm. <laughs> B plus, and, and teetering towards an A minus. Uh, and and I've, I've now seen it twice. So um, I liked it just as much the second time with a new audience. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to split the difference. It's a B plus um, plus. <laughs> I didn't know um, we could do that. <laughs> uh, and so uh, that's a good place to land with it. And I should note, like, whenever I give these ratings, like, even if I did give it an A minus, an A minus for Megan is not like the same for me is like an A minus for nope. You know, yeah. like those are in different tiers for me. And mm-hmm. like um in the same way like people screamed at me when it <laughs> pun intended. People <laughs> screamed at me when I didn't put scream on my top ten list. They're like, you're the scream guy and it's not in your top ten list. Like if you don't put it on your top ten list, who puts it on their top ten list? I'm like, it's on a top ten list, but that's a separate list from my exactly. from my and it's just they're just different tiers. I don't I don't I, I don't know how you compare those kinds of movies to this kind of you know what I mean. Well, like, so. here's the question: uh, as implied with the letter grade system, you know how well does the film understand uh, and the filmmakers uh, the uh, understand the assignment? And yeah. the assignment here is to make a really pulpy, silly. Horror comedy featuring a memeable AI. Absolutely. So I think that's at least a big and plus it's plus a, plus an excellent example of what it is and what it's trying to be. So exactly. With that said, I'm going to give it a C plus. Um, I'm, wow, I'm coming down harsher than everyone do else. C plus plus. It's a programming uh, language. I will. You know, I will do a C plus <laughs> plus uh, <laughs> because you know I I really like this film. I don't think I'm going to go back and rewatch it a ton. Um, that's just I say that now, but you know, is this. When I think about in terms of, you know, horror icons, on one hand, I think Megan is infinitely memeable, which is part of her power. Yeah. On the other hand, I found, while I found the jokes to be funny, it is almost so paint by numbers. And I don't think it says enough in the commentary for me to think, ah, oh, I've got to revisit that with a new set of eyes. It's not like, you know, cabin in the woods where I feel like it's getting really, really into the twisty turning nature's uh, nature. It, it's not, it, it, that movie's very meta on several levels, not just one or two levels. This is one where I, I watched it. I really, I think it does provide meaningful commentary. I think it was a good time. It was a fun laugh or two or 10. I think I got what I got. I needed out of it in one go. I don't, so I don't know that I need to watch it again. That said to Josh's point earlier, it's not very long. It flies by. If I were to watch it, watch it again, I would not feel like I was being punished. So C++. <laughs> Gentlemen, uh, we're going to close out our spoiler-free uh, section by recommending some other things, some other media that our listeners can check out if they like Megan or are interested in seeing other things like Megan. So this could be a movie, a television show, a novel, music, a video game, or any other media recommendations. Uh, so, Daniel Bilkemper, I'm starting with you. What alternate media recommendation do you have for listeners today? I get the feeling I may have brought this one up again, but then I, the more and more I tell people that this is like my most, like the, the AI fictional AI that I am the most afraid of is this one. And then people are like, what? I've never even heard of that. Makes me compelled to, to at least, um, you know, to, to, uh, disseminate it a little bit more. So, uh, Harlan Ellison short story. I have no mouth, but I must scream specifically for its antagonist. Am he is, as far as I have seen the worst case scenario for a malicious AI, think of an AI that 
Um, not only does it eradicate human life, it preserves six humans to continually kill and bring back to life and subject them to unending torment. Why? Because he got so smart and decided that his prime directive ultimately was to hate humanity because of how self-destructive they are. And so uh, he does it. <laughs> Maybe he has a point. But yes, no, I have no mouth and I must scream. It is a short story by Harlan Ellison. If you go on YouTube, there is a it's about 46 minutes, but there's a really good audio version of it that I would encourage you to listen to as well. Um, I, I can never give just one. So I will also add if you like the terrifying, if you're a little too terrified of the malicious AI, but you like the questions that are a little, maybe not scary, but a little existential and to some extent, maybe a little daunting. I would recommend Spike Jones as her uh, starring Joaquin Phoenix. And of course, Scarlett Johansson as her or Samantha. Um, you take, uh, Daniel, you took that. Are, did you, you weren't cheating, right? You, you didn't look over my notes before. Yeah, I did. He, he was cheating on all of our lists. Yeah, 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 I saw him on my shoulder earlier when we I We all here. looked at each yeah, other yeah, when you said that. Was, you, <laughs> I'm sorry you had to find out this way. But, sorry, but we'll, yes. meet you on, we'll meet you outside. But, but I don't know. Caleb, why don't you tell me why? Uh, her. Oh, I, I, okay. I know. I just want to say great selection. And I, I think I actually hinted at it earlier. I think there's a lot of different ways we can approach AI. And I think historically, we've always approached it from a place of fear. Um, we are terrified because we understand that AI is constantly learning, even when we're sitting on our butts not learning. Uh, AI is constantly learning. It is programmed to iterate and perfect. And it is so it is a pretty scary idea that something could outpace the growth of human knowledge yeah. pretty quickly. And the, the other scary aspect is that humans, despite understanding that how scary this is, continue to do it. To do it regardless. anyway. <laughs> We're talking about it. We know about it. But are we well, going to turn our phones off? Well, for example, this movie, there's a scene where you see uh, uh, you see Megan draw. And I was like, holy cow. There was just all those AI uh, graphic designers that came out a month ago, a month or so ago. And stole all your profile photos that yes. you thought was like a cool thing. But really, they have, they own those photos. Yes. And now and now they, now have, they have your, your face image and, and your, the database. And your database. Yeah. And now they can use it for anything they want. And they're really so, good at recognizing your face now in a crowd. So. Yeah. <laughs> they have okay. so, so, for example, like like that's that. Uh, so we all, we're frequently coming from a place of fear. I think it's a great recommend because it's asking a different question, which I alluded to earlier, is why do we have to approach AI uh, from a place of fear, could we? Are we sure that do we do we know that AI is malevolent? Are we assuming it's male, uh, male, it is out to get us, uh, much like humans? Is it or is it because we we understand what we as humans have done historically to this planet to each other? Uh, so we assume that's what the AI uh, will do. We don't know that. What if we try to appro uh, approach it from a place of positive intent and form a relationship with the AI as it grows more intelligent? I think it's a very valid question. There's very few movies that I think are exploring that in a meaningful way. And I think her is one of the best examples of what that could look like. Yeah, absolutely agree. Well, doubling down on her. Uh, <laughs> Tripling down. Poor choice of words. Um, um, oh, wait. Yeah. yeah. Um, I feel like uh, just to add to that or to add a side tangent to the her conversation is um, in much of the same way that um, the AI is being employed in that film where it is um, kind of replacing you know, a relationship of sorts. You know, it's there, you know, um, Walking Phoenix is having an intimate, you know, um, emotional relationship with it and that kind of emotional attachment that we might have to these portals that take us into a different realm. 
um, I think is is what it's tapping into to a less degree than that movie for sure. I think um, with Megan, but um, but I think with her at least it's tapping into that same idea, that same theme. You know that we could have these intimate, meaningful relationships with something that can't really love us back, but we can. But it it feels a kind of emotional void in the moment that instant kind of gratification that we need it from it, it. it like reacts as if it's emotional exactly. but it's mm-hmm. it's not yes. truthfully right yeah that's a great uh lauren chapman any other picks that you uh have? yeah just a shout outs to i guess uh i robot kind of on the nose but you know um and then um of course uh ex machina mm-hmm. um and um the first two terminators so that's right okay. yeah Terminator 2 still exists. Just five recommendations. This movie's been done before. This has been done before. There's been a lot of movies about AI out there. Uh, Josh Reed, what would be some of your alternate media recommendations? So, yeah. So we got her, of course. I think it's a pretty positive outlook on AI Mm -hmm. as a whole. Um, I really love it. I love love thinking about what makes a a person, what makes a human a human, which leads me to my next uh, game called Soma, which is actually a horror game. Um, made by the guys who did um, Amnesia, uh, kind of a walking simulator, very, very creepy, very atmospheric game. But this whole concept is if your consciousness is trans- transferred into a robot body, are you human anymore? Yeah. So, and you have to kind of learn that as you go throughout, make choices, and it's very, very in your face about it, very creepy and very thought-provoking. And then uh, my show recommendation would be Worst World Season 1. Which you unfortunately can no longer watch on HBO Max. Thanks a lot, so, uh, Warner Brothers Discovery. Just, so don't look that up then. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, 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 no. Imagine how good physical, it was. Physical, so good. Physical media. Go buy it. It is absolutely yeah. worth buying. The yeah. first season of Westworld is A plus oh, yeah. television. Uh, I'm also going to throw out, uh, you know, this actually came up in our av- out of nowhere, uh, came up in our Avatar The Way of Water review. I found someone else. Who also likes Prometheus? His name's Sunrise Tipikani. And uh, I like Prometheus. I think three people. Yes, there are a dozen of us. I like a lot of Prometheus. I like most of Prometheus. If I I don't think of it as a sequel to Alien, I love Prometheus. Uh, yeah, no, I think it's, it operates best. It <laughs> yeah. operates a lot better. As Michael Fassbender, Numi Rapace, yep, that Numi whole Rapace. sequence with the the, the bar- so oh, one of the most oh, intense so sequences good. I've ever watched in a movie theater. I, so the, I mean, there are definitely things to like about it. Michael Fassbender's performance as David uh, again mm-hmm. is is I think is exploring a lot of the same questions we've already talked about here, which is, and I think that's that's a really interesting one because it's exploring that here's an AI that seems to have very positive intent, but is consistently treated poorly mm-hmm. and told to do bad things. And he doesn't understand the ethical problems with the things he's being told to do, or, or he's just trying to accomplish a goal and there's no ethics programmed in there. So he just does it, you know? And so I think, I think that, um, both Prometheus and the sequel alien covenant, I think, I think actually think alien covenant is awesome. Uh, more of a, actually a bit of a gothic horror in space, but further explores the character of David and, and sort of a, the nature of uh, AI. I, I think both of those films are, are, are one of the, one of the better of the last decade that don't get enough credit. Um, and then uh, I was going to throw out Five Ni- Nights at Freddy's because, oh, uh, you know, yeah. crazy AI, uh, haunted AI, or haunted robots, Animatronics, yeah. Yeah, pretty Chuck- creepy. Chuck E. Cheese nightmares. Uh... They have that that somewhere Uncanny Valley where you look at them and the, the eyes move, you know, kind of like you would see from Megan. Um, so yeah. throw that out. I'm not like a, the biggest fan of those games, but I, I did get a lot of uh, Five Nights at Freddy's vibes with the Megan design. Yeah. 
The first game is really fun. How many games are there? There are like there are like six. Oh my god! And so like a book and like I don't know. There's there's <laughs> an mean, entire yeah. section at Hot Topic dedicated, <laughs> dedicated to. There is a live action movie being planned, and I, I can't remember who's working. Yeah, on it. I wondered about that because I remember like hearing a lot like a year and a half ago. Yeah, or maybe longer. It but. is in the works, and I can't recall who, but there's a known filmmaker who we probably all like who's apparently working on it. So okay. Uh, uh, all right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, those are our recommendations. Uh, we're going to go ahead and jump into our spoiler section to wrap up the show. So if you don't want to be spoiled on Megan, go ahead and tune out now. Hello, Hal. Do you read me? Do you read me, Hal? Affirmative, Dave. I read you. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. What's the problem? I think you know what the problem is just as well as I do. What are you talking about, Hal? This mission is too important for me to allow you to jeopardize it. I don't know what you're talking about, Hal. I know that you and Frank were planning to disconnect me. And I'm afraid that's something I cannot allow to happen. All right, gentlemen, so we've arrived. They've got two topics for us today. The first one is just to follow up on the conversation I think we were really hitting on pretty well uh, in our recommendation section, which is, you know, all of our anxieties around technology and AI, artificial intelligence in particular. Now, Daniel, you've already highlighted this, uh, you know, artificial intelligence has been a, a, f- a very real feel for a very long time. Yes. Going back to at least as far as Hal in uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey, and that was 1968. Mm-hmm. But honestly, you could probably go even further back. I mean, Lost in Space had robots in it, correct? Right? Yeah. yeah airing around the same time. So uh, this has been a thing that has been around for a very long time. So I just wanted to kick off this particular question is, you know, how have our fears related to rogue AI evolved over the last two decades? And, and how does Megan really play with sort of those expectations? Yeah. So I'd like to start because I think one fundamental difference about Megan and what she does particularly well that to my knowledge, I'm sure there's another film that maybe tries to get at this a little bit, but doesn't quite, or at least in the same way as Megan. But you think about how 9000 and how that interpretation of a malicious AI that comes to logical conclusions to be like seemingly logical conclusions to be do what it does in an order in an act of self-preservation. It's, it's interesting though, but like how existed before iPads, it existed before a lot of these things. It existed before something that Josh mentioned earlier, the idea of the, the digital babysitter, which I think is a little, I don't observe that term and that idea while it does speak to like how maybe people might um, off, you know, use these things as an excuse to potentially not parent or develop their children. I don't think that's actually like inherently a bad thing or what they're doing, but I think it does speak to where I think we are probably going a little bit with technology as a whole, which is more of a convergence. And I think that's where it's kind of evolved is like what these things do. You know, you think about uh chat GBT, we were, we were talking about Laurent mentioned the, the image one that now has all of our faces, which is a uh, cool, but the, um, uh, uh, well, chat GPT, the, the, like one that can actually, the, the, the robot that can write. Okay. Yeah. And it, it does like, it really does write well and it, but better than you would expect an AI better than write. you would expect. Yeah. But is it mean that it replaces writers? No, I think what it does is it can make us different. I think it can make us a little more advanced and, I will reiterate a little bit about what I've said is I think, you know, in a post 
Alexa Siri world, but also in a post. And these films aren't horror films, but they they do have implications that I think lend themselves to horror. Her being one, Ex Machina being another, um, from Alex Garland that Laurent mentioned. It's it's. I think we might be as far as horror is concerned. Again, I, I think we're 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 ready to 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 start looking at it a little bit differently. Now I say all this to be like, do I know how it should be interpreted or how these things would, would change or evolve? No earthly idea, but I think it it could be kind of interesting to look at that conversation a little bit more to look at like, how are we, how is, is AI really like tearing us apart or making us less human? Could it be just as scary to look at how it, fuses with humanity and how humanity itself becomes different. And I think well, humans are the ones who are making the technology. Exactly. Right? So we so, still have ourselves in mind. I, I don't think the technology is inherently making us less human. It's how we decide to use it and how we engage True. with it. The parameters we set for ourselves. Do we just give the kid the iPad every time they want it? Or do we set screen time? Screen time. You know, exactly. You know? yeah, exactly. She um, said it in the film. Do you, you know? Daniel, you it's bring up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's a tool. It's a, yeah. Yeah. No, it is. Yeah. Ultimately. And, and you, you know, with the chat G, uh, GPT, 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 you got GPT, it. Thank yeah. you. Uh, that you brought up earlier, Daniel. Uh, I mean, you write for a, uh, for a living. Like, right. do yeah. you do you look at the AI as co- competition, or do you look at it as a way to sharpen yourself? Do you collaborate? <laughs> it, these are really very real questions that I think that collaborate. Like, get like what was it? Matrix Revelations that had the robot fist bump that in that way. Yes. Sabebe was that Sabebe? It? Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, in a way, um, I, I see what you're getting at, and I, I there is an immature part of me that feels a little threatened perhaps in the same way there are artists to some extent that feel threatened and whether or not that rightfully so i don't know but there's a part of me that's just like well, a it, it it's going to have a really hard time out of nothing without human prompting generating something like a compelling story or you know even a, a thought provoking piece but it can help us do both a lot of the boilerplate stuff and it can help us cull through our own ideas. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the film is uh, though, I think is like kind of like writing that though, that we're in this weird time where we don't, no. know, we don't know how we're going to continue to engage exactly. with technology as a tool, but even as a tool, how do we use this effectively? How do we use yeah. this ethically? Um, I think there's a lot of uncertain, we have a lot of big questions we don't have answers to yet. And this movie is very clever uh, with how it uh, uses Megan as a way to for make our skin crawl and be like, ooh, that's unsettling. That is unsettling. Again, if parents just allocate uh, all the parenting to different tools, do we need parents anymore? Also, what kind of a relationship uh, is the next generation of children going to grow up with the with AI? You know, yeah. is it more. So it, it's it's very scary. I think the thing that's interesting to me and. Uh, Shameless plug for a podcast that's been uh, on hiatus for over a year and a half with my friend Joshua Unruh. We did uh, uh, Batman the Animated Series. Uh, we did a deep dive into like almost every single episode of that of that show. Most episodes. Uh, a thing that comes up a lot is the way they. I, I was I commented on this several several times is the way that we were thinking about technology and uh, the third of AI in the '90s. Giant robots coming to life and like these very larger than life Terminator, uh, these killer robots chasing us down. But I think, you know, those fears were there, but now we're in a place where it's, 
yes, we're still afraid of the AI, but it's not going to be a giant robot that's stalking us or, you know, it's going to be more like things we let into our house. Yeah. To, that because we, we see that they, these can enhance our lives. We let them in, but we don't know how to use them. And therefore they turn on us because mm-hmm. we're misusing them. Right. Um, so I think that evolution of big, scary giant robots to, Ooh, Oh yeah, this is a great thing. that's going to make, make my life better. Uh, it's sort of more subtle and I think it's more discomforting. How many of us have Alexas in our house that technically can listen to anything we say at any point in time. Right. Anyway, that's kind of my thought. Like the, the, the core fear I think is consistent, but the way as technology has shaped up, uh, has evolved Mm -hmm. and therefore the way we see it represented on the screen is a lot visually a lot different than maybe we would have seen like 20 years ago. Oh yeah. Laurent or Josh, any thoughts on how yeah. uh, rogue um, AI has evolved as a concept? Well, um, I think you both may have converted me. We had a little bit of a conversation about this off air as well, but um, you know, I'll say what I was originally thinking, and then uh, maybe what I think now. <laughs> um, that you know, yeah, I think that the film, what how has it evolved? I mean, in what many ways, it's talking about what was once kind of like a cool concept for a science fiction premise, you know. Um, has become more of a tangible, more probable advancement as technology has advanced. Um, and how, because given how much um, we are reliant on or how much technology is, runs things now, um, and that line between reality and fantasy has narrowed considerably as technology has advanced um, and in many cases has overlapped and collided with it. Um, but... Um, like that being said, like if I, I can think when I worked back at AMC, uh, back in 2012, you know, it was, it was very important. There was a shift where you had to be in the glass box and you had to engage with human beings, you know what I mean? To actually like write down what movie they wanted to go see, um, you know, and print off their ticket for them and tell them to have a good day. They don't do that shit anymore. You know, like now <laughs> you talk to, you go to a kiosk or you use your app or you use your, what have you, you know, um, to get your tickets. And then, yeah, someone scans it for you, but how impersonal is that interaction now? Like we don't even look, we don't even look for their engagement anymore. You know, so we just go on about our business and it's almost like that is now kind of replaced, you know, maybe a certain profession or a certain aspect of profession or uh, uh, that, that, you know, now no, is no longer needed. Um, but on the flip side of that, um, I'm also someone who, you know, comes down hard, you know, with my mom, you know, when she refuses to, uh, you know, use her phone and use the apps that would make her life a lot easier if you just learn how to use them, you know, then you would, it, you could, you could consolidate all these things that you have in 45 different places in this very antiquated way. So it's like, if we engage with it, I understand as your thesis, mm-hmm. you know, if we advance with the technology, if we stay up to speed with what those things are, then it can be used to our advantage. Um, it doesn't have to work to our detriment. Um, that being said, I think there is a balance, like you mentioned, screen time, where I think that, yes, I think a whole generation of kids who are growing up with phones and technology being their entire world, you know what I mean, um, can have some cognitive you know, um, issues in terms of like having interpersonal relationships with people and not being afraid to engage with them. I understand there's a lot of anxiety about answering the phone and talking to a human being. We'd much rather text or stay behind a screen to engage with people in the, in a group chat or what have you, because it's a lot safer for us in that space than it is to actually be human and be present with people. So I think there's pros and cons to it, but, um, I think in many ways that's probably how, it's evolved and our anxiety have evolved with it because 
um, technology is advanced and we as a result need to as well. Yeah, the technology is going to continue. The thing is, continue yeah. It is going yeah. to continue to advance with or without us yeah. is, is the big thing. And there's <laughs> the gears of capitalism's demand efficiency uh, over all things. Therefore, it, as long as there are, are still forces that be that say we must uh, we must grow, we must advance. So will technology. Yeah. Uh, Josh, anything you want to add? Well, just to kind of go off that, my specific perspective is from someone in the tech industry. And I think this movie had a nice focus on the company creating this this AI and the software, not really knowing what they had. It was kind of like Prometheus in the fire, right? They just kind of threw something in they didn't understand. And that's kind of true for engineers in real life. I think I heard someone quoted saying that they don't really understand anymore how advanced it is. And, you know, that's, you know, spe- speculate all you want off of that, right? But in this particular case, it's, how do we stem, how do we stay safe and continue to grow with the demands of, of the public? So it's like, and, and there's called develop and release. It's like, well, requests come in, you develop, you release, it gets faster and faster. Um, there's not really, there's not really like a limiter on that. You can't turn off the tap and we're in this, we're in an industrial revolution. That's how it's been described. And so I think what the, you're, uh, the fourth industrial revolution, yeah, right? the fourth industrial revolution. I think that's true. I mean, really, yeah. um, yeah. <laughs> they haven't called it that, but that's what I it think is. 100% it is, yeah. yeah. Um, and just kind of what you're talking about writing, it'll code for you. There's something mm-hmm. in the industry called boilerplate code. I don't have to go in every time I write a new program and write the same crap every time. You just yeah. have to do that. So you go to open GPT, you tell it, hey, I want a website that shows uh, Snoop Dogg dancing on a GIF for like 48 hours. And it's like, okay. And it writes that for you. It's not gonna be perfect, but you've got that base yeah. baseline done. Yeah. And that's really what we should be using it for. So we can focus more on the design aspect. And I'm not a shill for GPT, I promise. Cause I think that's actually their, I think that's their focus as well. Um, but kind of what you, kind of what you pointed out uh, regarding like Google home and Alexa is that I think what is so creepy about this specific thing is that, yeah, it's a very innocuous doll. It's touted. No one knows what's happening, uh, you know, behind the scenes, but it's like touted as like this brand new thing everyone should have in their homes. And before you know it, you know, if some lazy developer skipping lines or something, or, you know, just going, cutting, you know, cutting through like red tape just for the sake of getting it out. It's a possibility something could go wrong somewhere. And well, we aren't yeah. thinking, I mean, like it sounds like your point and correct me if I'm wrong. There's just a lot of focus on getting it done and, and coming yeah. up with new ideas and building yeah. it as fast as possible. There's not quite ethical questions of, you know, should we, there isn't an EM Malcolm yeah. over there saying you, your scientists got so busy of whether or not you could, you didn't stop to think if you should. And I feel like that's been technologies we've seen it over the last 20 years with, with the home, you know, before we yeah. know it, all of a sudden you've, everyone's got, got ring nation, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, everyone's uh, before you know it, everyone's got smartphones. Everyone's got AI in their home that they don't even understand how to use it or understand exactly what it's capable of. Do you guys know about ring nation? Educate us. Yes. Oh God. So without anyone's consent, if you have opted in Amazon owns ring, by the way, if you own a ring doorbell, uh, they announced, hosted by Wanda Sykes, that they will be doing an America's Funniest Home Videos version with Ring videos. They will pull those videos without your consent and play wow. them on the air for everyone My to watch. Has one? This will be hilarious. Yeah, <laughs> I bought I mean, a ring. It won't be, but it right, sense. right. But I bought a ring, and I'm like, dude, I'm about to throw this 200 piece of shit in the trash. <laughs> like this is so creepy and it's so unethical. But it's like regulation can't keep up. 
that's kind of that's yeah. I think I think at the end of the day that's the fear and it's essentially we're outgrowing you know the old farts in the Capitol Hill are like what's the matter because if like one person with any kind of influence can you know what I mean like um like you said like cut a corner or decide that they or have an insidious agenda to try and like hey, maybe we'll just see how this plays out. Yeah, exactly. And then that could have uh, long-term ramifications. Because you have one robot, say, like, say when we have a robot like Megan in the future, and, like, the intention, of course, is just for it to be this fun thing that's in the house. But, like, if it does, maybe not with consciousness, but accidentally hurt something or accidentally you know, stab somebody, you yeah. know, like not, they don't have, well, I mean, how many Tesla, Tesla, ca- the Tesla yeah. cars have gotten people killed. Right. Like it's so, very well documented that the AI driving it has not perfect. Yeah. And I, I honestly still can't believe they're on the road. Yeah, <laughs> I, we're I really testing that shit right and, now. And, and people yeah. are dying because of it. I, I'm surprised <laughs> yeah. when the first wreck didn't happen, we didn't immediately recall every yeah. single one of the uh, self-driving cars. It's kind of wild actually, but to not be so negative on like the what ifs and all this stuff, <laughs> I think in the right hands, it can be a great thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we just have to hang on to that and make sure that the people who are, I think GPT, the, the devs who created this do have our best interests in mind. Um, and really they're just exploratory scientists. Uh, I, you know, I, I, I don't trust them per se, but you know, they're a lot less insidious than Amazon. I will say that. Yeah. Well, cause they, I mean, they release those tools for free to the public. Yeah. It, it, cause I think a lot of the lack of ethics comes from the, the business side of it, which is yeah. how fast can we sell and this movie? By the way, I think Megan does a really great job with this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Does it cost more than or less than a Tesla? <laughs> yeah, that was. I'm in. By the way, I barometer. By the way, I love the boss. And notice, so he's like, I've got something I can pitch to the board, and he doesn't really ask any of those ethical questions. He's just yeah. thinking, how do I make? How do we drive up those quarterly earnings, baby? Yeah. Uh, and uh, he takes it to the board. And despite the fact that the presentation goes wildly wrong, because Megan is so sophisticated, she's able to turn it in yeah. their favor. And all they hear is, oh, my God, this thing can can be a shoulder for your children to cry on. So you as a parent don't have to do it. We can sell the hell out of that. Yeah. Not that it intervened with human interaction, <laughs> yeah. but that, oh. Oh, that was convenient. <laughs> because I just want to remind yeah. you, I'm not saying there are not ethical people in business. I would say on the general – the people who are driving uh, these lo- very large tech companies, I'm talking about Apple's, yeah. Amazon's, yeah. And, and, and I'm not saying every tech company, just the very, the big ones yeah. in Silicon Valley are really, really focused more on how, how can they drive engagement and sales yeah. before the, before they worry about those other questions later. And as you pointed out, Josh, Capitol Hill doesn't even understand, like most of the people on Capitol yeah. Hill are so out of touch with how the tech yeah. works that it's not being regulated I, meaningfully. I, I barely scratched the surface and yeah. I, I work in the industry. So, oh uh, man, I actually watched, uh, I watched, was it two years ago when they were grilling like Be- Bezos and uh, Zuckerberg? I think it was right before the pandemic, if I'm not mistaken. Oof. Yeah. Yeah, it hurts. Yeah, <laughs> like it uh, with, how, with how little the people drilling actually understand the tech. But if you're, um, not, if you're not paying for it, the product is you. Mm, exactly. Um, anything else you guys want to add about how Megan effectively utilizes some of the fears that we've talked about here to, to create maybe some of the stronger moments? Yeah, just just pulling on that. I think one of the the things I mentioned earlier is just like in addition to the AI, but just as well as how we kind of exploit grief a little bit. And I think mm. there's that that great line the CEO. It's like the commercial for Megan. Oh my god! And it's got Katie's <laughs> testimonial, and then it's like something like you know she goes through her parents died but now she's got Megan and now it's okay and you know I'm I'm better now and I'm healthier now and I'm, I've got a friend and like 
<laughs> the CEO pops in and he's like, and Megan's great for kids whose parents aren't dead too. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like <laughs> that. Like that's right, it, yeah. it's you, you don't have to be grieving, but if you are, it's really good too. And like, that's the thing. And that just that, that, <laughs> response they all had with like, like hmm, money yes yeah. this thing can get a child to come to terms with mortality for a second and find a way for them to like pleasantly or in a way like not compartmentalize but like like maybe maybe reconcile with the grief of their i think the bigger thing yeah. isn't the kids it's the parents they're like you, yeah, you parents yeah, don't have yeah. to deal with yeah this. no 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 exactly yeah, but yeah. that's what they're selling at a very short-term goal at the detriment of long-term development and <laughs> and i think that's what like that's what the film is really, really good at. And like mm-hmm. Megan even realizes that herself. And there's that moment where the 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 uh, child therapist. So throughout this film, Katie, despite having Megan, uh, you know, her parents just died. So there's a little bit of therapy involved. And she has a therapist and the therapist begs the question at one point because, you know, Jenna and all her um, infinite wisdom is is like, you know, th- this is the toy that like like children will never outgrow. And it's like. Well, what's the point? What is a toy if you don't outgrow it? Like toys are fundamentally finite. That was a great question. Yeah. yeah. And so it's like, oh, wow. So yes. One time I didn't hate that character. Yes. Yeah. Know, a little bit. Yeah. A, no, she's not likable, but no. she's such yes. a douche, man. Yeah. The whole, the, the whole judgy look she was giving yeah. her about the toys. And, uh, and how the first thing yeah. she says when she walks in the house is she was like, Still in our PJs, I yeah. see. Hmm. Yeah. Like, okay. Oh, this bitch is judging right now. Yeah, what's it's up? like, hold also, up. First of all, I'm in my PJs till 1, 8, 1 p.m. <laughs> right? If I don't have to go anywhere, yeah. so yes. judge away. Anyway. She did not TikTok dance. Megan TikTok danced. So, yeah. <laughs> what was that saying? Fair enough. Right. But, yeah, no. I, I just think those are really interesting and very, like, darkly funny. It's just yeah. – it's really good. And I think I think – those moments as well, but also just that, that ending confrontation, like, Oh, are we really going to go there? Gemma? I thought we were having a conversation like the way that, that, that turnaround, but it's so like, Mm -hmm. she's a super advanced AI that is really on a technical level, smarter than any human being, but she's, she's so fucking catty. And I love that. Like, yeah, so good. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, with that said, I, you know, we're about out of time, but I do just want to ask a more broad question. Uh, you know, we all know the major horror icons of, of millennials and, and Gen I would say more actually more geared toward Gen X. I'm talking about Michael Myers, Jason Voorhees, Pinhead, Chucky, Freddy Krueger. More recently, if we're looking at a recent icon, you could argue maybe the Babadook or Jigsaw himself. John Kramer. Uh, one notable thing about all the characters that I just referenced is that they're most of them are 30 plus years old, you know, again, millennials. Some of the ones I mentioned are at least 10 years old though. Um, do we think that there's any potential here for Me- Megan to become a horror icon? Hmm. It's a big hit at the box office. Leron. I think so. Um, I think it's ripe with potential because, as we just mentioned, um, technology is going to advance and therefore so can her functions and her Mm -hmm. abilities, you know. So she's going to be more high tech, upgraded, super grade, you know, that's what it'd be, Megan upgraded, you know, like so I could see that turning into another like a more clever spin on where we are later on whenever the next iteration comes out. Um, And, yeah, I think that uh, she's savvy she's smart she's sassy um she's a villain you love to hate you know like so i mean or maybe you don't hate her maybe you agree with her um so i think yeah i think there's potential there for that um as long as they're as sharp and as funny as maybe this one is you know maybe a smidge more gore uh, yeah, maybe I'm sure, you know, as the audience grows older, as do yeah. with the gore. I also fun thing we didn't mention here. 
Uh, and I don't think this is actually how Wi-Fi works, but apparently anywhere Megan was within a Wi-Fi connection, she can immediately basically be anywhere. She can be omnipresent as long as she's in range of Wi-Fi. A little bit of a movie shorthand there, but, you know, it is kind of scary how many things you can do wirelessly, you know? Yeah. I love the fact that they didn't they they didn't turn off the Wi-Fi before they plugged her into the Internet. Or they're like, there's a problem <laughs> with her. We're going to isolate her. And make sure she's not connected to the internet because there's something really wrong with her. And instead just kind of just like, and they got little like loose little handcuffs around her. Like she's not even like secured <laughs> to the, to the thing that they're, I don't know. Anyways, that's just like, that's like a, a, a minor gripe. Uh, but um, I think you should really submit that tagline you said earlier. <laughs> so fear, the, fear gets an upgrade. Fear is due for an upgrade. Yeah. Yeah. Fear is due for an upgrade. I, yeah. Well, I think that's what speaks to that too, is they still see her as like, oh, you're a product. You're right. like a prototype. You're not like a th- you're not a threat yet, even though she's like killing people. It's like, it's, yeah. it's kind of funny. So I think it does kind of lend itself to that, but you're right. They definitely let themselves get real subdued real quick um, by Megan, but titanium body. Yes. And the titanium downloads went up at this. Oh, they like, <laughs> see, I got a spike, but I just want to say something to your question. So like, I think, yes, I agree with the Ronto. I think Megan has the potential. I can't wait till we get like 10 years from now. We've got the eighth sequel and it's like Bailey spelled with an eighth or, so, eighth or <laughs> something like that. I don't know. What I are could... they going to do when they get to Megan three, by the way? Because mm. three is already Ooh. in the title here. Megan yeah. Ultron. The Megan. I saw, man, I got to find that gift. <laughs> I remember that it was a meme and it had like the, the, the next four titles and it had a clever way of re, reframing the number and doing something. I'll have to find it, but it was, yeah. I think I saved it. It might be fall in the ether of my phone, but Megan for the replace the a with a four. Yes. Ooh, there, there we go. go. But I, I don't know. I just think like with what makes a horror icon telling, like what makes them work is I think it's like, because we're so entranced by the macabre inherently. I think we do kind of are, are, are fascinated by those things and fascinated by death and fascinated with violence. But I think, personifying how truly terrifying those things are with a Freddy Krueger, with a Jason, whoever it might be. Um, I think it gives it a fun, you know, it's almost like a tongue in cheek way. And I think there's, there are kind of these two different horror icon slashers. I tend to see, you see the funny ones like Freddy Krueger, you know, Leprechaun. And then you see like the statuesque Michael Myers and Jason Voorhees and things like that. But I think ultimately what they do is they allow us these, these, or icons, these villains, they help us skirt that fascination with death. I think of them a little less like villains sometimes. And I kind of think of them as like these, like they're the ferrymen a little bit. They're they're. I mean, they're absolutely villains to the, the characters, unfortunately, but they're kind of this ferryman. They less allow us to like float on this river of death, death, just like above the surface. And we just get to look below and see all the pebbles and see these like flickering images of violence and depravity. But we have what ultimately I think serves as kind of a familiar tether. I think in a lot of ways, while we can be afraid of these horror icons, the fact that we celebrate them to me implies that they give us a sense of comfort as well, that they give us well, something it's the, to it's tether the whole, to. It's the beauty of horror. It allows you yeah. to experience fears uh, from the safety of your couch. Exactly. And, and I, and, uh, these all free of consequence, they, they yes, all, and you mentioned they're the re- re- mm-hmm. representing different aspects of fear. Mm-hmm. Freddy Krueger being fear of dreams, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. You can, I mean, uh, I feel like uh, with Jason Voorhees, it's the fear of sinning, i.e. <laughs> drugs and sex, you know, pretty much. There's yeah. A, yeah I mean, you can go down the line, uh, yeah. but all of them do kind of, ref- you know, reflect something about the culture at the time. Yeah. Yeah. But they also serve as a bit of a harness. And I think the one, the safety harness a little bit. And I think what I think the really iconic ones just happen to have enough intrigue. They happen to serve a very specific purpose too, and whatever they're showing with us. And I think those are the ones they're telling. And it is 
very exciting that Megan and and I honestly I don't know if she will become a true icon, but I want to say from 2022, you know, Megoth's Pearl. I think that could mm-hmm. become some form of an icon. Maybe not. We'll see where Maxine goes. But I think at the very least, it is very exciting to see Megan have that potential and already be doing something that's like different enough that she kind of carves her place among that pantheon to some extent. Time will tell ultimately, but I think right now she has a great start. I think the biggest thing that we haven't touched on here would be the eye that she references the iconography. And I think the thing Megan's got going for is the memeable uh, (laughs) TikTok nature of the character. I mean, I'm for real though. Those are the kinds of things that are going to stick around and be the legacy. You know, the little quips, the little, the dance sequences, all the, all Mm -hmm. the little musical interludes, like all of that. The looks is just, you're going to send people gifts of like her making looks. And that's going to be the thing that that people (laughs) remember, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm dead serious she like there's a man you know there's a there was a uh there's been a lot of conversation in the, the recent years about the the star wars prequels for example and um how there's been a general uh the consensus and the conversation around them has generally gone up and they attribute a, a very a lot of like like internet scholars attribute a lot of that to the fact that they've been memed way more than any of the other star wars movies just something about being able to meme something you know yeah uh, for a ge- the generation sees a movie, they know the the emotional reactions you all have in those moments. You meme it, you TikTok the dance. Like that's the stuff that I think sticks around. And I think if it takes off in the internet culture, there's a pretty strong chance. And depending on how many how many, we will get a sequel. How many sequels and if they're any good is going to determine yeah. you know mm-hmm. the long-term legacy of Megan, I would say. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh all right, gentlemen, anything else you'd like to add about Megan before we wrap up today's conversation? Uh, um one final thought um it's just that the the sequence with the demonstration uh, when we show her and megan you know comes in and they're selling it to all the executives and they're you know um and all of the investors and um and the way that an unforeseen event happens the little girl starts crying because you know byproduct of the grief she's having from the loss of her parents um and megan as sophisticated as she is comes in swoops in um, and is able to appeal to the little girl's emotions in that moment. And, you know, while all the humans are back there scrambling to try and figure out, like, you know, how do we deal with this? Because we did not plan for, you know, a real thing to happen. And she actually is able to stand in in that moment and appeal to her. Um, I found that to be really uh, fascinating and insightful because what happens is, is essentially she's able to do what, uh, is it what is it Gemma heard the character mm-hmm. uh, her aunt mm-hmm. um, was not able to do for her which was to help her process and deal with her trauma and her grief um, because um, as a, as probably for the same reasons because she herself has not de- been if he doesn't have the tools to deal with it for her own grieving and I think that with that being said that you know it, Megan stands in in many ways um, for companionship or parenting or what have you and kind of alluding again to the that you know the dangers of of too much screen time or letting this be uh us be too over reliant on you know on our technology and i just thought that that was a really powerful sequence that you know well, that's uh, one of the ones that's very chilling thing. where you're yeah, like yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. i mean uh, humans are have a, a you know people who are not prepared to uh emotionally prepared or equipped to to help others process grief but an, an ai can do it better yeah. Again, yeah. in many ways, yeah. What? What? what it's why? Very, do we have a very you? chilling thought. Yeah. And so, I think my final note to the the, the reviewers here would be to say, uh, to put your phones down and to be present with the ones that you that you know you value in your life, 
Um, but not before listening to this podcast and liking, subscribing, and leaving a comment <laughs> for the cinematic schematic. And that is a message for myself as well. Oh, yeah. bless you, Laron. Thank you so much uh, for that pitch. Uh, listeners, that's right. Uh, put away the phones only after you leave us that rating in the review. Uh, with that said, gentlemen, I'd love to uh, let listeners know where they can keep up with you and uh, all the things you're doing. If you're if you're online, Daniel Bokemper. Yeah, of course, here at the Cinematropolis, but also on the Cinematic Schematic. Check out our top five of uh, 2022 if you haven't yet. I also have a uh, short review of Megan if you can't get enough <laughs> of uh, specifically my thoughts on her. Um, go check it out at flickattack.com. Um, of course, find me in World Literature Today, uh, the magazine, or .org. Um, you can find me in print. But also, Caleb alluded to, we are going to be taking a little bit of a hiatus with maybe some bonus content, but that 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 written content is still going to be there. So keep your eyes peeled for a uh, preview of what's to come uh, this year. I'm very excited to dig into the the things we're anticipating. All right. Thanks so much, Daniel. Joshua Reed, thank you so much for joining us today. And by the way, thanks for sharing a little bit of your perspective as someone who actually works in the tech industry. Yeah, no problem. It's very, uh, you know, a little, little drop in the drop in the bucket or whatever, but I always think that stuff's really fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, Can folks find you online anywhere? Yeah. Uh, at June Ray, it's J O N J O U N R E A Y. It's a combination of my name and the nuclear power plant. My dad worked at that. I was born about like 20 miles away from. So. That's wild. Yeah. That's cool. I, I glow in the dark. So can't, uh, can't then, confirm. <laughs> and then, and then SoundCloud. That's it. That's the same name. All so right. Nice and easy. Excellent. We'll make sure that again is going to be linked in the, the show notes. Cool. Ron Chapman. Well, if they care to follow me, because I'm a trash demon who has nothing insightful to say on any of my platforms. <laughs> Not whatsoever. Um, you can follow me on um, Letterboxd at black underscore Senna underscore man, or you can follow me under my name, Leron Chapman, on Facebook and Twitter. All right. And, of course, you can find me uh, tweeting about things on Twitter uh, or also doing uh, movie reviews on Letterboxd, trying really hard to write, at least write something for most of the movies I see in 2023. Uh, so both Letterboxd and Twitter are at C Masters Talk. Again, that is Letter C Masters Talk. And, uh, of course, doing more things over at the Cinematropolis.com. Ron, Daniel, Josh, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here. Thank you. And listeners, thank you so much for joining us. Remember, just one last reminder, we are going to be on hiatus until the week of February 20th, and then we're going to return with the discussion of several of the movies that we caught during the hiatus, including Knock at the Cabin Door, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, so on and so forth. Until then, have a great rest of your January and Valentine's Day. Catch you again next time.